This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Come here, stable dweller. There are things you should know. Hey there friends, I'm Nuclear Yuki, and welcome once again to a nuclear reading show. Today, we're continuing on with KCAT's Fallout Equestria. And also, if you're enjoying what I'm bringing to the cold, dark wasteland, don't be afraid to tell your friends about me, or find me on Twitter as Nuclear Yuki. It's a big help. Oh, and a bit of a disclaimer, since the gangs can be a bit feisty, Fallout is owned by Bethesda and Hasbro made my little pony, French Wiz Magic. With all that said and done, welcome, friends, to the Wasteland. Chapter 37, The Shadow of the Ministries, Part 1. Finally! At long last, I've reached this point in the story. And at this point, I beg your permission to take a little liberty with the telling of it. It had been a long and winding road getting to Cantalot, and I still have to tell the difficulties and discoveries that faced us there. 
The most vital of these discoveries was the six memory orbs. The final memory orbs, which I found there. In those memories, the veils began to part, showing me my true place in this world, my purpose in life, and how everything was going to end. I finally got my first glimpse of my own destiny. That it took so long is probably exasperating, and you might wonder why I didn't skip to this part sooner. In truth, I have skipped over a fair bit, trying to tell you only the parts of my adventures that were important or exciting enough to keep you reading. I have told you these things, I suppose, for the same reason that Princess Luna told her story to Midnight Shower. Context. Only with the proper context can you see how meaningful those memories were, and how they set my hooves on the path that ended with me coming here and doing what I'm about to do. For all that, there was a long and brutal journey still ahead of me. I'd only seen glimpses. I'd not found my virtue, and I did not understand my role in this world and I was utterly unaware of the war about to descend on us all. I did not view them until our time in Cantalot was over, and I feel it would be too much to tell all of them at once. Too much, at least for me, at least, to try to relive them all in order like that. So, with your indulgence, I will diverge from proper chronology and scatter my telling of those memories throughout the much longer story of our experiences in Cantalot. Thank you for bearing with me on this. That's awfully fast, Calamity commented, staring at the light pink mist that was already filling the streets of Cantalot as we looked down on it from high above. The steady rain had washed the pink cloud out of the air in the days before, and yet the cloud was dense enough to tint the air merely half a day later. Most of the city was built from stone carved from the very mountain Cantalot embraced. Cobblestone streets had been lined with elegant structures formed from stone and mortar, or magically moulded rock. Most buildings of stone still stood, although cracked and crumbling from the weight of unnatural ages. As we flew by, a three-story tower, once an upscale inn, collapsed with a deep-throated rumble, sending up curling swirls of pink-tinted stone dust. Everything more susceptible to the entropy of the cloud had been reduced to rust and rubble, smears and stains that once signified objects, and decrepit structures stained pink and falling apart at the seams. Oddly, some of the most preserved things were those which had once been alive. The black and twisted forms of dead trees lined streets filled with dark, pink-rotted bones, many of which had partially sunk into the discoloured cobblestones. The only other place that looked eerily preserved was the cluster of buildings that had once formed the heart of Equestria, from a scattering of white stone towers to the royal castle itself. And the coloured mist had settled everywhere, faint in the air below us, thicker on the streets and in between the still-standing structures. It will get worse with each passing hour. Steelhoofs warned us. By morning, the pink cloud will have returned to its full strength. I pressed my lips together in determination before saying, It won't be a problem. After Zebratan, I'm not going to spend any longer in here than absolutely necessary. One of the things our experiences in Zebratan had made very clear was that the threat posed by the pink cloud was directly proportional to its concentration. We had spent hours in the light haze of the cloud that persisted in the Zebratan police station with only minor health problems. Nothing that couldn't be remedied by a health potion and some time in the fresh air. The places where the pink cloud pulled thickly, however, were lethal beyond even Steelhoof's depictions of it. We're going to land right in front of the Ministry of Image. Dash in and grab what we came for. I told my companions. Then we gallop to the Ministry of Awesome, get what we need from it and go. 
With any luck, we'll be in and out in under an hour. We had spent the earlier parts of the day helping Glyphmark. Even now, Zenith was still down there imparting all she could about zebra stealth techniques to the young adult zebras. At least in such a short amount of time. Now the sun was setting, dipping below the clouds to paint the world in hues of fiery orange and bloody red. We hoped to take some advantage of the impending darkness. Are you sure this place wasn't hit? Velvet Remedy asked, observing the level of damage that was evident throughout the city. Is that all just from age? The entropic effect of the pink cloud speeds decay. Steelhooves noted. If the city were not made largely of stone, it would have crumbled to dust long ago. Only the mystically protected places are significantly intact. I reckon a fair bit of damage was done by the explosion when the shield came down too. Calamity commented as he circled at a safe height, drawing us over the outlying city and towards the castle itself. I thought the missiles had stopped striking after the pink cloud went off. Hey, yep, that's why I heard it too. But that ain't the explosion I'm thinking of, Calamity explained. Remember, the mega spell pumped enough of that cloud into candlelight to make the air look solid pink, and it worked like the shields weren't full of air to begin with. Of course, the air pressure in Cantalot would have been, well, I'm not sure how high, but it would have been pretty high. No wonder the pink cloud seeped into every surface it touched to the extreme which it did. I expect that the moment the shield went down, there was one hell of a, well, you saw it, Steel Hooves. Am I right? I didn't notice. Steelhoof said with a morose defiance. I was a little too focused on the falling wave of pink water. I reviewed what we had learned from our so-called dry run for Cantalot in Zebratown, beyond the fact that Steelhooves and I disagreed on what dry meant. The greatest danger we expected to face in Cantalot was the pink cloud itself, but the interior of the Zebratown police station wasn't much different than Cantalot right now, and so I was highly confident that we would be fine so long as we minimised exposure. Likewise, while we knew that the pink cloud had the potential to fuse objects to our flesh, or each other, that only seemed to be a concern while within the highest concentrations, at which point such fusions were the very least of our health concerns. As such, I announced that I was going in wearing my armour and pit buck. I'm going to put on my batter saddle the moment we touch down, Calamity responded. That is a foolish choice, Steelhooves retorted, pointing out, if you insist on taking the risk of wearing armor, your enclave armor not only offers a much higher degree of protection, but its magical energy weapons are far more suitable for battling some of the dangers we are most likely to face. Our Cantalot Ghoul's words reminded me of one of the more painful lessons from Zebra Town. My combat skills were almost worthless here. The two enemies we were most likely to face were Cantalot Zombies and Alicorns. None of my weapons were worth a damn against the latter once they got up their shields, or against the former at all. In order to stop a cantalot ghoul, I'd not only have to take them down, but then run up and hack off their head somehow. Unfortunately, bullets don't tend to decapitate. Yeah, I know that, Calamity responded stubbornly. But while I know the chances are mighty slim, I still ain't taking the risk that I might be fused into that damn thing. He spat for emphasis. Our other environmental concern was the broadcasters. Steelhooves warned that any broadcasting system, from pitbuck broadcasters to sprite bots, were likely to have become twisted into lethal traps, even those inside. Fortunately, he also assured us that we should normally be able to hear the damn things before we got into their kill zones. Both of the broadcasters I'd fallen victim to had been underwater, preventing me from hearing them. And both times, 
I've been travelling swiftly enough that I've been thrust into their deadly area of effect before I could react. Hopefully, travelling cautiously would allow us to avoid such death traps while in Cantalot itself. Returning to his previous observation, Calamity mused, Still, that's a lot of pink cloud coming back awful fast. You sure it's just even back up out of the streets and such? As opposed to what? As opposed to, I don't know, being fed somehow? Calamity offered. Still who's flicked his metal-shrouded tail. You think that the mega spell might still be going? I felt a chill. I can't reckon how all the pink cloud ain't been washed away if it ain't. That was a deeply unpleasant thought. Velvetrabby spoke up. But that would be insane. If the spell just kept going, it would eventually poison all of Equestria. The Zebras couldn't have wanted that. No, not even they would have. I recalled the rumour Steelhooves had mentioned. After the shield fell, the Zebras launched mega spells to finally obliterate the city. But if that's true, then those missiles never reached their destination. It's possible, I offered, that they might have designed it to function indefinitely just to ensure it would last as long as they needed it to. And because they expected it to be destroyed along with Cantalot shortly after the shield fell. After it had done its job and murdered the princesses, Pylite let out a mournful note. We flew in silence a few moments more. No! I said, telekinetically snatching the Fluttershy orb away from Velvet Remedy as she brought it out of one of her medical boxes. She gasped as the orb floated away from her. Little Pip, give that back! She demanded, her voice lowering. I frowned but shook my head. You've been losing yourself in this too much, Velvet. It's really beginning to worry me. I've been letting this go for weeks. After all, her reliance on the Fluttershy Orb seemed to wane after Pylite had joined us. But ever since the Balefire Phoenix had been injured and Velvet Remedy had neglected a dying pony to save her, my unicorn friend had been turning to the orb with ever greater frequency than before. Excuse me? Velvet huffed, telekinetically snatching it back. I'm pretty sure I've spent nowhere near the amount of time lost in memory orbs that you have, she pointed out, and I've been a lot smarter about when and where to do so. Ouch. Okay, true, but at least I'm not viewing the same one over and over and over and over, I said, trying to sound reasonable. That can't be healthy. Velvet frowned. Because I like this one. No matter how bad it is out here, I can always find solace in Fluttershy. I cringed inside. And yes, it is escapism. So is reading a book. She challenged. Would you be so concerned if I read the same book over and over? We each have our own little things that help us get through the day. And at least mine isn't self-destructive. I could feel her on the verge of bringing up party-time mintals. But Velvet Remedy reined herself in, not wishing to cut that deep. Instead, she sighed. The world is horrible and I don't seem to be doing a whole lot to make it better. All my friends insist on risking death or dismemberment on a daily basis. I don't. Steelhooves interjected. Yes, well, you're being an entirely different problem, aren't you? Velvet snapped. My old home was assaulted. Those I knew slaughtered. And now we're about to dive into poison at the behest of a psychotic despot who would see the extinction of pony kind. So maybe a little escapism is in order just to keep my sanity. Steelhooves turned towards me, but said nothing. 
I knew my own reasons for wanting to curb her Fluttershy worship, but clearly this wasn't the way. What is that? Velvet Remedy asked, changing the subject with a point of a hoof. I watched her tuck the orb away before turning to see what had caught her eye. The setting sun was passing behind a tall, slender white spy that rose up from the city, taller than the highest tower of the castle, and flanked by a pair of marble wings, easily three stories tall. The light of the sun seemed to ignite a nimbus around the spire as its shadow slashed across the city below. The Celestian Monument. Steelhooves informed us. Princess Luna had it constructed after Princess Celestia stepped down to honour her and her thousand years of peaceful rule. Of course. That would be why it's taller than the castle. Velvet Remedy nodded. Luna was making it clear to every pony that she didn't see herself as a replacement for Celestia. Beyond the Celestia Monument stretched a lifeless field, lined with ugly, dead trees that seemed to reach out of the dirt like grasping skeletal claws. The field was bordered by broken cobblestone walkways. In the centre sank a huge rectangular pool of pink-saturated water. Rising opposite of the monument was the royal castle itself, a glorious mass of crumbling spires and cracked white stone. The field was flanked by the silent sentinels of six preserved buildings standing across from each other like pieces on a chessboard. The ministries, each now a shadow of their regal and impressive former selves. This was Ministry Walk. That there's a whole lot of alicorns! Clamsey whistled, staring down at the dark forms which swarmed round the far end of Ministry Walk. We'd been warned of alicorns in the Cantalot ruins, but I'd assumed they would be scattered about the city. Instead, they amassed in Ministry Walk. It was almost as if something about the castle drew the alicorns close like bugs to a lantern. So much for setting down in Ministry Walk. They would be all over us before the Sky Bandit touched ground. And alicorns were yet another enemy that my skill with firearms was pretty much useless against, at least as soon as they got their damn shields up. Alicorns were some of the most dangerous and powerful opponents in the Equestrian Wasteland, but at least they had been predictable. The encounter in Zebratown changed all that. In the pink, the alicorns lost their telepathy and their connection to the goddess. Here, they were individuals, and their tactics and demeanour radically changed. Logically, I didn't have enough experience to be sure, but my instincts were telling me to expect these alicorns to be more clever than the ones I fought in Appaloosa in Manhattan. Their individuality would allow for more creative tactical thinking. At the same time, they should be less coordinated. And, if my suspicions bore out, less magically threatening, with the exception of what I had come to think of as their breed powers. All alicorns seemed to possess the same spells, but the only spell the alicorns had used in Zebratown, aside from their shields, was a lightning bolt spell, and only one of them had used that. If all of them had possessed the full range of spells normal for alicorns, we should have been slaughtered. Instead, I had come to suspect that the alicorns were all tapping into a common pool of spell knowledge, one granted by the goddess, and when they lost their connection to her, they lost most of their spells as well. Too bad that damn shield spell seemed inherent. Okay, new plan, I announced. We land in that cluster of buildings on the opposite side of the Celestian Monument, and we sneak our way in, moving quickly from building to building until we reach our targets. Steelhooves, which of those buildings is the Ministry of Awesome? The Ministry of Awesome is the smaller building made of glassy black stone. Farthest up, right next to the castle, and across from the Ministry of Morale. Steelhooves answered, adding for clarification, The Ministry of Morale is the one with the mooring tower for Pinkie Pie balloons. Right next to the castle. Of course it was. 
I brought up my Eisvold sparkle as Calamity winged us back around the monument and started to look for a good place to land. Directly behind the monument stretched an assemblage of moderately preserved structures adorned with golden rooftops. The buildings were littered over a generous expanse of space that I imagined must have been a park. A small river snaked through it, the water tainted by ribbons of pink, terminated at an inner city lake. Here we go, everypony! Calamity called out as he picked out a spot and began to shed altitude. I was thankful for Calamity's warning, even though there wasn't really anything to do to brace ourselves. The other everybody took a deep breath, apparently intending to hold it in while we dropped down through the pink cloud. We dropped into the pink. The tint of the sky transformed the sunset into something utterly alien, the red and orange hues shifting into sickly malignant colours. Yay! Well, even with the change of plans, we should be in and out within just a few hours. My eyes forward sparkle flashed a location name sent from a Pitbox auto-mapping spell. Princess Celestia's School for Gifted Unicorns. A cluster of lights flared off my EFS compass, none of them immediately hostile. I turned my attention in their direction as Calamity flew us down between the rooftops of the tallest buildings. The lights came from one of them. I urged Calamity to fly a little closer. Ivory Tower, my EFS proclaimed as we neared the elegant structure topped with a golden onion. Graduate studies. One of the uppermost floors of the Ivory Tower had boasted a beautiful multi-story window. During the Megaspell attack, the mounting air pressure had caused the window to implode, and the whole tower had filled with pink cloud. As we passed, I could see into what had once been a library, the books all long rotted away. The Ivory Tower had become a pooling place. I could see thick wisps of nearly solid pink floating up the stairs from the chamber below. Several darkened reptilian forms slouched about the library, occasionally flexing leathery wings. One of the creatures was curled up in the shattered bowl of what had once been a giant hourglass, snoozing soundly. Dragons. Cantalot ghoulized adolescent dragons. About Spike's age, I thought as I remembered being trapped in Spike's body, recalling the feel of his wings. They could be siblings, I realised, trapped forever in underdeveloped bodies that would now not grow and would not die. The sight struck a melancholy chord in my heart, a sad note that continued to play even as three of their corresponding lights shifted to red. Three of the cantalot dragons rounded, watching as we passed, then spread out their wings and launched themselves after us. Steelhooves reacted immediately, dashing towards the back window of the Sky Bandit. Steelhooves, wait! I called out, unsure if my actions were wise, but unwilling to make the mistake of shooting first yet again. Velvet, you're up! Letting out the breath she had been holding, Velvet Reverie jumped to her hooves, flashing me an odd expression as she passed. It was either her way of silently saying, About time! Or she was still upset with me over trying to take away the Fluttershy orb. Velvet's horn glowed softly as Steelhoof stepped aside, making way for her. Dragons of Cantalot. Her voice boomed, magnified majestically. We are but pony travellers, humbled be in your magnificent presence. We beseech you to allow us passage through your territory. We promise our visit will be brief and we will be of no bother. Really? Steelhoof's rumbled his tone making it clear Velvet Remedy's diplomacy couldn't possibly work. No. She whispered back. Not really. She turned back to me. I'm sorry about this little pip. Food! One of the dragons bellowed. 
great. They ate ponies. Of course they ate ponies. Mr. Tobes had been planning a feast. Why, yes, of course. Velvet Remedy replied. I wouldn't think of passing through your home without bringing something to pay the toll. With that, she floated at one of the dresses she had bought for me at Tempony Tower. The only one, I noted, which had several pretty sapphires woven into the hems. I'm afraid I only have the one gift, so I hope you don't mind sharing. She tossed the garment out of the Sky Bandit's back window, and the three dragons immediately scrambled after the gemstone-studded dress. Turning back around, Velvet Remedy smiled and suggested, Let's get inside before they finish fighting each other. I leapt from the Sky Bandit the moment it touched ground, levitating our supplies with us. We had left everything but the essentials back with Zenith at Glyphmark. Calamity released himself from the harness. Hey, look! Calamity said, pointing between the nearby buildings at the rubble of Clip-Clop's clipboards a few blocks away. Maybe we should stop by there on our way back, he suggested as we all began to gallop towards the closest building. Perfect place to get a blade of armor for the Sky Bandit. No getting sidetracked. Wait, what? I blinked at Calamity in confusion. Hey, yep. Ain't you notice all the clipboards laying about everywhere? Calamity asked, flying alongside us. Damn things are nigh on indestructible. I honestly hadn't noticed. But then I didn't scavenge as relentlessly as Calamity did. Still, clipboarder's armor. He had to be joking. Made out of pure compressed obstinantium, they is. Calamity continued. I bet you're not even a little Mac a punch a hole in one. Obstinantium? There was no such thing as... Oh, I got it now. Well, sure, the new ones were, but only after they stopped making them out of layered stubbornite. Careful there. Steelhooves grunted. The Apple family had a monopoly on the stubbornite mines. Velvet Remedy chased behind us, a confused expression on her face. I thought they were apple farmers. She whispered to Pylite, who was flying along beside her. Well, shucks, Calamity said. If some ponies hadn't been hugging all the stubborn after themselves, maybe they wouldn't have run out of it like they did. I'll have you know that Applejack never once hogged stubbornite. Steelhoofs countered. She used every bit that she had. I blinked, my mouth hanging open. Did Steelhoofs just make a joke about Applejack? Wow. The wave of pain blasted through my head as I reached the steps up to the building door my EFS flashing the name of the building mixed medical warnings. I felt like there was a vice tightening around my horn. My vision blurred and my ears began to ring. I stumbled back and the pain immediately faded. Whoa! I called out, holding out a foreleg to stop the others behind me. I wasn't fast enough. Calamity didn't stop, flying right over me and slamming through the door. As soon as the door was open, I could hear the static. Calamity was halfway into the lobby beyond when he landed staggering and spun around. I could see blood beginning to seep out of his ears and the corners of his eyes as he turned to look towards us, his face grimacing in pain. And then he looked up above us and bit the air. I could see his bloody eyes widen as he realised he wasn't wearing his battle saddle. Wobbling, he shouted out, pointing above the door, Lil Pip, there! He toppled to his knees. I dashed inside, drawing little Macintosh from its holster ignoring explosions of pain in my head and the sudden tint of red in my eyes. I spun around, 
instantly spotting the school's public address speaker built into the wall just above the bust of the goddess Celestia that looked down at us from above the door. My first shot missed, digging a hole in the wall near the speaker. My vision was getting rapidly worse, and I couldn't use my targeting spell. It didn't recognize the speaker as a target. There was nothing for it to lock onto. My second shot shattered Celestia's face. The third hit the speaker, which exploded in a shower of sparks. The sound of static softened but still remained. The pain didn't go away. There was at least one more speaker in here. I looked around, but my vision was swimming in red, and I couldn't see anything. The ringing in my ears drowned out nearly everything else. I could barely hear the explosions all around me as I lost my equilibrium and fell onto my side, my vision fading to black. My vision cleared again almost instantly, leaving my ears ringing softly and a comparatively minor headache beating my brain. The others had charged in after me, and from the smoke and debris, steel hooves a grenade machine gunned the upper walls of the lobby until the static stopped. I groaned and sat up slowly, wiping blood from my eyes. We have a new problem, Velvet Remedy informed me, her voice seeming strange and far away. I blinked at her, trying to clear my vision, and I looked upwards to the entrance where she was pointing. A shield spell had descended over the front door. Apparently, shooting up the lobby in Celestia's private school of magic triggered defences. We made it up to the third floor before finding that the stairwell in the next level had caved in, forcing us to cut through the classrooms to reach the stairwell on the opposite side. My plan to avoid detours was off to a bad start. I pushed a door open, checking my EFS for hostiles, then made my way into the classroom. The building was old, but mercifully free of the pink cloud, allowing us to proceed cautiously. We were operating under the assumption that the administrator's office on the top floor would have a terminal capable of shutting off the shields locking us inside. At least, that's what we assumed to be the large space at the top of the tower was meant to be based on a map which had decorated the lobby's back wall. A map which had lost large chunks under Steelhoof's grenade barrage. Even in its state of decay, the room was elevated by touches of class that set it apart from the building outside of Cantalot. Filigree in the walls and furniture, the tattered remains of rotting banners, the cracked marble tiles of a two-tone blue checkerboard floor. I paused, staring at the globe in the corner, the continents beginning to peel off its surface. Strangely, I'd always considered Equestria to be flat. I looked around. The last lesson taught in this room was apparently astronomy. As the chalkboard still bore a diagram of, if I was reading it correctly, the single path on which the sun and the moon circled our world. This was not something that the science classes in Stable 2 had covered. We'd learned about mechanics and robotics, arcane science and spellcraft. I'd sometimes pondered where the sun went when Celestia put it away, imagining it was hidden underneath us, possibly taking a nap. If this diagram was true, Celestia was sending it to another part of the world to make it day someplace else. I wondered if that was that far, far away land where the zebras lived, or maybe the place where the dragons originally came from. Did that mean Nightmare Moon had locked them in an eternal day, slowly roasting them alive? And how messed up did things have to be now in order for the Pegasi to occasionally see the sun and the moon in the sky at the same time? Unbelievable, Velvet Remedy intoned. I turned to see that I was not the only pony distracted by the contents of the room. Velvet had trotted up to the steps that ran along the rising rows of chairs on the side of the room opposite the blackboard. At the top, 
Near another doorway were several posters. Velvet was staring at one which featured a very small filly, magically projecting a shield around herself and her family as an evil-looking zebra lowered a stick of dynamite towards her with a fishing pole. They were actually teaching children to use their shield spells to protect themselves from a mega spell attack? Velvet Remedy stomped. From the poster, I gleaned that the spell was one of the first taught to any unicorn who had the capacity to learn it. They might as well have been telling them to hide under their desks. Uh, Remedy? There ain't any desks in this room, Calamity pointed out. Velvet Remedy swung around and saw the rows of chairs in the lectern, but there was not a desk in sight. She sighed. Not the point. Maybe Celestia just didn't want them to be scared, I offered. I had to imagine that telling the children a lie that allowed them to believe there was something they could do was kinder than leaving them feeling helpless. It was my belief just born of corrupted kindness. I grunted, hating Trixie. Red lights started to pop up on my EFS compass, several of them, converging on the door next to Velvet Remedy. Velvet! I hissed, motioning her towards me before pointing warningly at the door. Calamity, now wearing his battle saddle, flew into position covering the door. I whispered up a prayer to the goddess Celestia that ended up becoming more of an apology for shooting her in the face. The door opened, and I felt myself go numb. It was a small, cantaloped, ghoulized unicorn child. Her school filler uniform melted into her flesh. There were several more behind her, all cults and fillies, locked in the endless routine of going to and from their exams, until they spotted us, and the air filled with a sound more horrifying than any I could imagine. A wordless sound of unadulterated and monstrous aggression from a chorus of achingly childlike voices. No, Celestia have mercy. I was frozen, my eyes locked on the monster children. I... I couldn't do this. <laughs> Calamity fired, the twin bullets from his battle saddle tearing into the filly's head, blasting most of her brains onto the Remember Your Shield poster. Turning to the rest of us, he yelled, What are y'all waiting for? I knew they weren't really children. I knew they were, at best, feral animals, and that they would kill us if we didn't fight or run, but my body refused to do either. Calamity fired again. Next to me, Velvet cast her anaesthetic spell as a young colt, only to moan as the spell had no apparent effect. Even still, he seemed to have faltered a moment, but now I heard the ports of his missile launcher open. Two rockets fired at an upward angle and exploded against the ceiling bringing large chunks of it raining down on the creatures, children, below, along with half a row of chairs from the classroom above us. I stumbled back as two colts and a filly were crushed under the collapsing ceiling, the little pony in my head sickly wondering if that had killed them or just inconvenienced them after their lights went out on my EFS compass. Little Pip, Steelhooves commanded. Get us up there! Up there? I felt like I was thinking through sludge. Now! He bellowed, snapping me out of my stupor. Calamity swooped past me, firing again as another cantalot zombie cult galloped through the open door and leapt over the rubble towards us. The twin shot hit the monster in the side, knocking him back into the chairs. I wrapped my levitation field around the rest of us and levitated us up through the ceiling. Behind me, I heard the sinister warping sound that signaled one of the fallen cloud children was rising back up, filled with necromantic life. I poked my head out of the classroom, looking both ways down the corridor. 
I kept expecting the zombie children to appear, but there were no hostile lights on my EFS compass. I couldn't tell if they were still trying to get up to this level, or if they had ceased pursuing us the moment they could no longer see or hear us. Literally, out of sight, out of mind. The hallway provided a new danger. The air was filled with a pink haze which grew thicker towards a ventilation grate in the ceiling. I could just make out the large metal fan behind the grate, warped and fused with the metal of the shaft itself. The dense patch didn't look particularly large, but it was slowly growing. Still hooves, I instructed, closing the door. We need you to scout ahead. Find the shortest path to another cloudless section of the building. The Steel Ranger outcast nodded. I opened the door long enough for him to gallop through, and then I closed it again. Hey, Pip? Calamity said, his voice almost a whisper. I'm pretty sure one of the first ministry buildings was the Ministry of Magic. I think we should pop in there and grab ourselves some proper magical energy weapons. Just in case we have to deal with the Birchmore Cantlark ghouls. Here we go, I sighed, groaning inside and forcing myself not to face Hoof. Well, magical energy guns are a map better against Cantlark ghouls than what we're packing. Still hooves aside. Calamity reasoned altogether too reasonably. And we shouldn't be relying on him to bring down the house every time we face more of the monsters. And for that matter, Velvet Remedy chimed in, we really need to stop by the Ministry of Peace. It's right across that way, and we could definitely use the medical supplies. Especially if you end up fighting against those alicorns. Of course we do. I turned to them both. Look, the more sightseeing we do the longer and more dangerous this trip becomes. We've already taken longer than I wanted just getting out of the first building. All the more reason to get the extra medical supplies while we can. You know the Ministry of Peace will have supplies somewhere. I nodded. Somewhere? That's the problem. You're not talking about a brief stop, either of you. You're talking about exploring those buildings. Velvet Remedy nodded. I know that, and I know it's dangerous, but I'm worried... No, you just want to see Fluttergy's ministry. Velvet Remedy took a step backwards, feigning a wounded heart. My expression was unmoving. Okay, fine. Yes, I do. But I am also worried. She insisted. About steel hooves. Steel hooves? Calamity echoed. Why would you worry about him for? The guy can serve anything, up to and including the apocalypse. Velvet Remedy rolled her eyes. He's immortal, not indestructible. That arm might repair itself, but how do we know he's okay inside? The only things to heal ghouls are radiation and healing potions, and that suit of his is designed to self-administer. Now, the last time he restocked his armor's medicine dispensary was Stable 29, and since then he's been shot through with anti-tank rounds, fallen a few hundred feet, and gone through whatever he was put through in Zebra Town. Look, Velvet, if Steelhoofs was in trouble, he'd tell us. Calamity said. Would he? Velvet questioned. I found myself caught, unable to decide which of my friend's flaws were at play here. Velvet Remedy's excessive worries, or Steelhoof's stubborn stoicism. I suspected this was the other problem that Velvet had claimed Steelhoof's was being. I couldn't blame her for being concerned. Best case, she was a doctor who was being denied the ability to examine a patient and the Wasteland wasn't in the habit of serving up best cases very often. I was beginning to kick myself for having taken Steelhoof's durability for granted. Well, there was gummies, Calamity offered. But that was before he got shot, Velvet Remedy reminded the Pegasus. 
Afterwards, you only came back long enough to pick us up. Damn. Calamity rubbed his brow under his hat. I reckon you might be on to something here. Turning to me, he suggested, Little Pip, maybe you ought to run diagnostic on his armor and see just what state our friend is in. For all we know, he might be real torn up under all the steel. I looked at the door, wishing Steelhooves was back already. Okay, Ministry of Peace and Ministry of Magic, but only the fastest looks and only until we find what we need. Targeted missions, no sightseeing. They both nodded. Then Velvet Remedy added, I was actually really hoping we could take a peek in the goddess's castle too. I face hoofed. No! I gasped, collapsing against the storage room shelving, the impact sending several boxes of cleaner toppling down onto my head as I fought for breath. My heart struggled in my chest. Velvet Remedy slammed the door closed behind her, the last one in. She crashed into steel hooves, bouncing between him and the workbench Calamity had curled up onto before falling to her knees. I can't believe you've done that to yourselves before. She gasped wretchedly. Velvet began patting around healing potions. Under the police station was much worse, Calamity moaned, downing his potion. Why do you think I saw blowing up the boiler as a better alternative? Velvet groaned shakily. Forgiven. She floated her own potion to her lips and drank greedily. I drank the potion Velvet had passed to me and closed my eyes, waiting for the healing effects to begin to mend my cloud-ravaged body. Velvet passed a second round of potions, and I could see that the stop in the Ministry of Peace would truly be necessary after all. Weakly, I slid myself across the floor towards steel hooves. Lay down, soldier! I demanded, hurting too much to perform the social dance that the friendship and civility required. Steel hooves obeyed without question, accidentally knocking over a row of plungers with his armoured tail. I pulled a tool from my barding and jacked my pitbuck into his armour, running a diagnostic. Steel hooves' displeasure at this invasion of privacy was radiating off him, but he didn't move or speak. The little pony in my head began to panic when my pitbuck started flashing medical alerts across my EFS. I fought to keep my little pony calm as I worked to strip away the alarms that were probably false. My pitbuck's medical assist spell was not calibrated towards ghouls, much less whatever physiology was normal for Cancelot ghouls. I wish that I had Velvet Remedy's understanding of medicine, although considering her reaction to ghouls, that might not much help. The one thing I could say for sure was that Steelhoof's armour was completely out of healing supplies, and apparently had been since partway through Zebratown. The stallion was keeping himself going on painkillers and combat drugs, most of which were also nearly depleted. What had he been planning to do once those ran out? Hell, one of his legs was broken in multiple places. The armour was holding it together like a cast. Not okay! I told him sternly, feeling like I was wearing Velvet Remedy's horseshoes. He said nothing. If you're in trouble like this, you need to tell us! I'll be fine, he finally said, but I noticed he wouldn't look at me when he said it. The damn thing was, he probably would be as long as he didn't get himself killed permanently before he could resupply his armour. Between now and then, however, was a whole world of pain. The painkillers were handling a lot of it now, but not all of it, and they would be gone soon. This felt like a self-punishment, maybe for what happened on Bucklin Bridge, or maybe because of bad memories, wounds and regrets that coming here and Zebratown had made fresh again. I could point out that when the painkillers stopped, the pain might hamper him, 
putting us all at risk. That was the sort of argument I knew he would listen to and accept, but it was also cold and selfish. Steelhooves was our friend, and he deserved better than that. I needed something to say that would show him we cared, and yet would still be persuasive in his ears. I looked to Velvet Remedy for help, only to be reminded of our argument about the Fluttershy Orb. Velvet Remedy was escaping, Steelhooves was abusing himself. I looked up to Calamity and wondered if he was doing any better. Calamity seemed fine, but then so had Steelhooves until I took a deeper look. At least Zenith was okay, right? No, Zenith never really seemed okay. After what she had been through, I would be surprised if there was an okay in her world that even vaguely resembled the one in our own. Her freak out of being bitten was still fresh in my mind, but at least she was getting better, I thought, rather than worse. Although, at the time we had left, Zenith had still not admitted to Zephyr that she was her mother. Was that just Zenith being a zebra? Or was it a warning sign? Something else I had been missing? Steelhooves pushed himself back up, disconnecting his armor from my pit buck. I should go. Go where? Out. He replied. To find the next room that is clear of the cloud. Velvet Remedy tossed up her shield, the shimmering screen of magic filling the hallway just in time for the three baby dragons to slam into it. The little wingless creatures growled and clawed at the shield, their eyes glowing and their faces distorted in a rage. Oh, aren't they cute? Velvet cooed. She got a resounding no from the rest of us. More trouble at R4, Calamity warned. I spun around. From the other end of the hall, several cantaloc colts and fillies emerged from the stairwell. The lead filly had another cloud-ruined baby dragon on her back. I stared at the filly, my eyes drawn to... Little Pip, what are you staring at? In black horror, I hissed. Look at her cutie mark! The school filly's tattered uniform gave a clear view of the blob of dark pink that emblazoned the cloud child's flank. I reeled at the implications. The child had gotten a cutie mark after the mega spell. After she had died. That the cloud had transformed the poor little filly into an undying monster was horrific enough, but somehow the idea that it had warped and corrupted her to the point that the pink cloud had stolen from her what should have made her special and replaced it with itself was somehow so much crueler, so much more abhorrent. The child horror lowered her head, her horn glowing a violent pink. Thick wisps of pit clouds snaked out from the air around her glowing horn, swirling as it filled the corridor. The filly was actually conjuring pink cloud. The baby dragon jumped from her back and began charging at us, its little claws tearing at the hallway carpeting. <laughs> the twin shot from Calamity's battle saddle echoed through the hallway, the baby dragon's body ragdolled against the wall. A moment later, the tendrils of pink began to reach us. Immediately, my head swam, my headaches spiking. I backpedaled, trying to get away, only to hit Velvet Remedy's shield. The three baby dragons behind us gave little roars of anticipation and violent desire. What? Calamity coughed. Is with the rest of you? The beggars has dropped to the ground unable to keep flying as the pink cloud began to eat at his insides. He fired blindly into the pink. They're not really children. I could hear the cloud children galloping down the hall towards us. All I could see was pink and black, the edges of my vision beginning to go dark. 
My EFS compass was showing nothing but a mass of blurry red. Every breath seemed to shrivel my lungs, making me fight harder to get half the air I could breathe before. Velvet Remedy collapsed beside me, her shield going down. One of the baby monsters leapt at me, claws scratching at my barding and digging wet scratches in my flesh, its teeth sinking into my mane, trying to tear at the back of my neck. Steel hooves opened fire on the hallway. I curled up as I was pelted with concussive waves and shrapnel from the close quarters explosions. The blasts left my ears ringing. My sense of direction and balance shot to hell, but they also thinned the cloud. My gut was twisting. My insides felt like they had begun to rot, but my headache cleared just enough that I could focus. I floated at little Macintosh, aiming it at the small monster gnawing on my back, and fired. I felt the creature drop from my back. The poor thing which should have been allowed to grow up. To be a dragon. Velvet Remedy was curled into a ball, crying. The two other baby monsters were trying to eat her. Her body was a tapestry of shallow, bleeding scratches. I fired twice more, getting them off her, then stumbled to my hooves. Somehow, dreadfully, it was easier for me to shoot these creatures than the monsters who took the forms of children. As if the fact they had never grown old enough to talk or think like people made it more okay to treat them as rabid animals. My eyes forward sparkled as flashing medical warnings. Even thinned, the pink cloud was killing me. I needed to get out before my internal organs started shutting down. Wrapping velvet in my magic, I galloped as fast as my legs and lungs would let me. A staggering trot, trying to get out of the pink. Behind me, Calamity fired once more then pivoted and followed, stumbling as he attempted to run. The air filled with that noisome, grating sound as the eyes of the baby dragon Calamity had shot began to glow and it began to growl. Get to the top! Our Applejack's ranger called back to us. I'll hold them here. None shall pass. We're down to the last of our healing potions. Velvet Remedy warned softly, tears in her eyes. I groaned as I drank the potion she floated over to me. We hadn't even gotten to Ministry Walk yet. And I still haven't had the chance to restock Steelhoof's armour. I watched as the slashes of red that covered velvet closed gently, mending themselves before my eyes, leaving her looking unmarred, yet still covered in her own blood. The mare swayed despondently, then curled up next to Calamity on the large bed in the centre of the room. The large circular room had no windows, but both the fireplace and chute provided means for the pink cloud to enter the room. Fortunately, a magical ventilation spell had prevented the cloud from pooling here, leaving the air only the lightest shade of pink. Survivable levels of the pink, so long as none of us fell asleep in here. The administrator's room had been lovely once. A solemn room of violets and blues with a mural of clouds drifting along the wall and a delicate ornateness to every feature and piece of furniture. Ghosts of that beauty remained in the greasy rot of the carpet, bed and tapestries. A golden scroll-shaped stand leaned against one wall next to crumbling bookshelves filled with decayed books and the residue of dissolved scrolls. Next to the centre bed was another golden stand, this one holding a terminal, its screen glowing softly. The door into this room had been one of the hardest locks I had ever encountered. I expected no less difficulty from this terminal. It just isn't right. Velvet Remedy choked, leaning against Calamity. All those children, those little baby dragons. Calamity wrapped a wing around her as she began to sob again, 
they didn't deserve this. It's, it's, it's so unfair. It was worse than unfair. This was evil. I felt a bubbling rage simmering in my beating heart. There was no pony to be angry at. I couldn't be mad at the victims. And the zebras, and possibly ponies who created and destroyed the mega spell were long dead. No. I was furious with the pink cloud itself. How dare it? I began to hack, trying to focus, not wanting to take my frustrations on the terminal lest I make a mistake and get locked out. Little Pip, Velvet said softly, if the, if the mega spell is still working here, still pouring out the poison, her eyes closed, her trembling voice finding determined steel, we need to stop it. I nodded. The password was apologies. The Apple Orb. My host was checking his watch. The little hoof pointed to seven. The big one just a few minutes past the hour. It was either late morning or less than an hour from midnight. I had no way of knowing. The hallway was a cold gray metal with no windows. Yet it felt like night. A soft chime from behind drew my host's attention. He turned as the elevator doors opened. Party music playing through over the speaker in the room. The elevator seemed empty. My host stepped away, watching cautiously. The elevator doors closed, cutting off the sound of music. I could barely hear the soft hum as the elevator began to descend. My host looked to his left. Empty hallway, no doors, ending with the heavy steel door of a vault. He looked to his right. A magical field of blue light shimmered in front of an iron gate. The room beyond was filled with humming mainframes. I apologize for running late, an exotic voice said from the nothingness, sounding slightly muffled. First, the head of a zebra appeared as she pulled her hood back, and then the rest of her. I did not mean to make you wait. I felt my host press his lips together. That's all right, Sakura, but you'll have to hurry. Security will cycle any minute now, and when it does, we've arranged for the shield to drop. It'll only be down for four minutes. You'll have to get in, get the data, and get out. I saw my head turn away as I fished a key out of the pocket of my security uniform. This will get you through the gate. You know which systems you're looking for, right? Zakora nodded. A sad look formed on her face. I ask if this is worth the cost. The lives of ponies will be lost. I felt a frown etch across my host's muzzle. We have to be willing to make sacrifices if we're going to end this war. Your success here will get you the Caesar's trust, and that will allow you to get close to him. My host stepped back. But if it helps, I'm sure they will arrange for weapons factories and those schematics to have minimal staff when the zebras hit them. My host's frown turned to a grimace. Unfortunately, we've had a small complication. Zakora raised an eyebrow. They've installed some sort of new gemstone detector. Something from the Ministry of Image, of all places. It is designed to detect zebra talismans like your cloak. And it's not part of the normal security system, so we can't shut it down without raising alarms. You'll have to remove your cloak before going in. I will not need it once in there, so I will leave it in your care. Sakura slipped out of her cloak, now wearing only a satchel. She looked strangely naked without the jewellery I had seen her wearing before. The shield of blue energy suddenly went down. My host sucked in a breath. Quickly, strike me down, hard! Zagora spun and bucked at my host. 
one hoof caught him squarely in the chest, cracking at least one rib. The other sank hard into the soft flesh of his neck. Sakura's eyes widened as I collapsed, choking and fighting for air. She had clearly not intended to land a possibly fatal blow. My host waved her on, coughing and fighting to remain conscious. Sakura galloped down the hall. I heard her unlock the gate and pull it open, but my vision was blurring. I sat there, fighting harder and harder, just trying to breathe. Air struggling to get through my throat and into my chest. I heard the chime behind me. The door opened and an apple green stallion in tuxedo barding stepped out, looking around. Apple snack. The moment he saw me, his eyes widened, then narrowed, taking in the discarded zebra cloak nearby. Damn it! I knew something felt wrong! He looked up, observing the open gate and the disabled magical shield. Hold on, Buck! I'll get! Applesnack froze, his voice silencing abruptly, as Zakora rounded the mainframes, heading back. You! Applesnack stepped into a battle stance as Zakora stopped short. You! Applesnack called out, fury in his voice. Applesnack? Zakora said failing to rhyme, her eyes growing wider. She trusted you! She let you into our house, and you betrayed her! Applesnack was striding slowly forward. I opened my heart to you because she wanted me to. I even began to trust you, to like you, a zebra. How could I have been so stupid? Apple! My host wheezed, holding up a hoof. Don't! There was almost no sound to my voice. I, we, struggled to get up, but our hooves wouldn't work. I realized we really were dying. She thought you were a friend. You broke her heart. Applesnack was roaring. I suddenly knew this was what was hurting him. I remembered Steelhoof's denial when I told him the truth about Zakora and the painful resignation that seemed to follow. I would prefer she had killed those monsters with cold-blooded calculation. Steelhooves had told Calamity regarding my rampage in Arbu. It wasn't the killing that had thought it was bad. It was the blind rage. And now you come back. Tonight of all nights to hurt her again. Zakora crouched down submissively. You have caught me. I do not fight. She intoned. I am your prisoner tonight. Applesnack stooped, shaking, then screamed, bellowing, No, Zakora! That is not how you say died! Resisting arrest! No, oh no, Steelhooves don't do this! He charged, turning and bucking at Zakora. She didn't try to dodge, at least not the first time. She did the second, and the third, and the fourth. My host flailed as darkness began to seep into the edges of his vision. The fight for breath was getting harder, and he was losing. His whole body felt weak and distant. I didn't feel the hum of the elevator at all, but we heard the chime. As the doors slid open, an oddly familiar song floated into the hallway. How can I shield you from the horror and the lies? When all the once held meaning is shattered, ruined, bleeding, and the whispers in the darkness tell me we won't survive. It was the song that had played in Steelhoof's shack the morning I first really met him. The song he became strangely lost to. My host struggled again, trying to get up, trying to make any part of his body work now. We weren't getting any air anymore. 
and down the hall, I saw Zakora strike out, trying to defend herself. Applesnack ducked under the kick and brought up one of his own, striking her underneath and sending her body flying against the wall. Zakora hit the wall with a meaty smack, leaving a splash of blood as she fell to the floor. From within the elevator came a horribly familiar voice. Oh, nuts and shrews. I know the boys planning on proposing tonight, but if we're missing our son cause Sergeant Steelhooves has become Sergeant Coldhooves. Oh no. Oh no, 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 no! Don't come out here, Applejack. Don't see this. It'll hurt you if you see this. We've been trying to repair our relationship. Steelhooves had told me. Ever since the night she had seen the darkness in me. Not learned about. Seen. Applejack was wearing a little black dress that was clearly a rarity original. She stepped out of the elevator. She looked to her right, seeing an empty hall ending in a vault door. She looked left. Her eyes widened, pupils dilating to pinpoints as she saw Applesnack, bloodied, his torso heaving with each breath, standing over the very bloody corpse of Zakora. There's a secret passage from the basement of the examination building to the royal treasury. Steelhooves asked in disbelief as we galloped towards the Celestian Monument, our weapons and most of our supplies floating in tow behind me. Yep, don't make sense to me neither. Seems like that would be the sort of place you wouldn't want secret ways into. Calamity responded, gliding along beside us. But that's what the map on the terminal said. I was still reeling from the knowledge of whose office I'd set hoof in whose terminal I had managed to break into. Vothid and Calamity had laid down in her bed. After her sister Luna had taken the throne, after Littlehorn, she had spent a lot more time at her school than in the castle. As we reached the monument, we slowed our pace. Most of the Alicorns were on the far side of Ministry Walk, but my EFS was picking up hostiles close enough to worry about. Even in the ruddy, fading light of dusk, we needed stealth now. The Celestian Monument was magnificent, even after centuries of decay had taken bites out of its structure, leaving patches of framework bare. I stopped a moment to stare in awe, and then bowed before it, sending up a prayer to the goddess. I heard the sound of static. It was growing steadily louder. A sprite bot was approaching from the front side of the monument, its speakers broadcasting white noise and necromantic death. My vision fuzzed my head beginning to throb for what seemed like the infinity of time that evening. We were just on the edge of the effect now and we started stepping back in order to keep from being engulfed. I was useless against ghouls and zombies created by the pink cloud, and nearly helpless against alicorns. But this was a threat that I alone was equipped to handle. I was the only one with a ranged weapon that was quiet. I floated out the zebra rifle, peering down its sights tracking the approaching robot by its friendly light on my EFS compass, waiting for it to float into sight. The sprite bot dropped to the ground, internal circuitry burning, its broadcast dying with a pop of ozone. We trotted past it, ignoring the scrap. Well, most of us did. Calamity picked it up and offered it to steel hooves, remembering the ranger's armour used scrap metal to repair itself. The outside grounds of Celestia's school had been blissfully vacant, any pony outside had fled to the safety of the buildings when the pink cloud came, not that the buildings had proven sufficiently safe. As we rounded one of the mighty wings of the Celestian Monument, we saw that Ministry Walk had not fared so well. 
there were skeletons scattered all about the field, sticking out of the ground like black weeds. Ponies had filled the park when the pink cloud consumed it. A stallion whose bow tie and collar had become permanent parts of his neck. The twisted framework of a baby carriage with the skeleton of the baby Pegasus pony welded into it. The infant's mother laying half inside the cobblestones nearby. A mare who had been sitting on a park bench in the most peculiar fashion. Her skeleton now melted into the bench itself, holding her to that pose forever. Two ponies fused together in an eternal embrace. Their skulls tilted upwards in the direction that pink horror had descended upon them, snuffing out the twin flames of love and life. This is too much, Velvet Rebody moaned. Then she gasped in horror, stopping dead, staring ahead of us. The Ministry of Peace. The Cantalot hub of Fluttershy's ministry had been built into a grove of magically grown trees. Two hundred years ago, it would have been a heartwarming vision of natural beauty. But the pink cloud had murdered the trees, turning them into twisted black terrors. The whole building looked like a haunted house. Small objects littered the cobblestones and lifeless planters that circled the ministry. Scissors, ashtrays, metal picture frames... All objects sucked out of the rooms whose windows had shattered. Parts of a terminal lay smashed on the steps just outside the front doors. A ceramic butterfly had shattered into six pieces scattered across a row of dead hedges. As we crept forward, Velvet Remedy hesitated. I... I don't think I want to see any more. I don't want to know what this poisoned place has done to Fluttershy. Velvet Remedy paused to look at a corner diorama featuring Fluttershy sitting in a forested field, surrounded by gentle animals. I could guess she was struggling against the urge to shatter the display and steal the full-sized Fluttershy for herself. Are you okay? I... I just can't take her away from all of her forest friends. The Ministry of Peace had suffered severe internal damage when the trees that formed most of its outer walls had twisted in their unnatural death throes. Pink Cloud had seeped into all but the most interior rooms. To our further dismay, the Cantalot Hub seemed to be less a place of healing and medical research than a public front and administrative centre for the other MOP hubs, and we were coming up empty-hooved in our search for medicine. The only upside is that nothing in the Ministry of Peace had attacked us yet. Everything in this place was dead. I approached a set of double doors and nudged it open. Velvet Remedy, looking over my shoulder, whinnied in dismay. A haze of deep pink filled the massive room which had once been an auditorium. Rows of rotting seats descended towards a dilapidated stage beneath the last dangling threads of cloud-eating curtains. The walls, formed from even more trees, were blackened and dead. Velvet Remedy inexplicably pushed past me and galloped into the poisoned room. Velvet, what you doing, girl? Get yourself out of there! Velvet paid us no attention, charging up to the stage and jumping onto it. I saw her waver as she landed, the pink cloud beginning to get to her. I shouted for her to come back. Beside me, Pylite cried out, calling to her beloved Velvet. What a tarnation does she think she's doing? Calamity demanded. Velvet stumbled, turning and standing before the podium. She put a hoof on it, and it broke apart at her touch. I could hear her sob. The auditorium still had great acoustics. Seeing her standing on that stage wearing her yellow medical boxes. I suddenly realised this wasn't just any auditorium. This wasn't just any stage. Um, uh, hello? Velvet Remedy said meekly, reciting from memory. 
Can I have your attention, please? If you don't mind. Oh, goddesses. Hold on, little pip. I'm gonna grab her. Thank you, Velvet was saying. Now, um, I know every pony is really, really busy, so I'll try not to take too much of your time. Clamity, wait! I said, holding up a hoof. Pyolite fluttered at the edge of the pink, hooting in agitation. Wait! He spun to me fiercely. She's gone plumb off her rocker. She'll die in there if we wait. I focused, wrapping Velvet Remedy in my magic. I'll pull her out. Just, I think she maybe needs to do this. She was risking her life to do this, and I couldn't tell if it was on the road to catharsis or catatonia. Needs to do what? Pylite didn't wait. The Burfire Phoenix soared into the poison, flying to Velvet Remedy. Below us, Velvet Remedy continued, her inflection perfectly matching Fluttershy's. Princess Luna has given us... That is, she's allowed us to... We have a new project. Velvet paused, looking out over the crowd that only existed in her mind. As Pylite landed by her forehooves and rubbed against her, nudging her to move. This is bad, Steelhooves told me. Velvet cringed slightly. Please, it's okay. I know we're all overworked, and Everpony has so much to do already, and you're all doing just wonderful. She gave a most beautiful smile. Oh, what in the hay? Calamity moaned. Pilate began to cough. I extended my magic around her too, feeling increasingly anxious. Did she need this? Would she ever forgive me if I pulled her out? Denied her this? Did it matter? But this is really important, and I've been talking with Princess Luna, and... Velvet fell to her knees, coughing, her voice getting weaker as she struggled to breathe. I really, really want to do this project. I'm behind it. She coughed again. Completely. And I really hope you will do too. This horrible, terrible war has gone on far, far too long and hurt so many people. I could hear the sadness and hurt in Velvet's weakened voice. Sweet, merciful Celestia, I could see her tears. Enough of this, Calamity growled. Little Pip, get her out of there now. I nodded, blinking back tears of my own. From your lips to Celestia's ears. I whimpered as I levitated Velvet Remedy and pulled my friend from that gas chamber. Velvet Remedy was barely in a condition to move, much less walk. Even after I'd fed her our last healing potion, we'd left her in the care of Pyolite and Steelhooves. Man telling me what the hell that was all about? Calamity asked angrily as he flew along the maze of office cubicles I was wading through. The Fluttershy Orb, I told him. I heard a crunch and felt a sharp pain in my left forehoof. Looking down, I saw that I'd stepped on the skeletal remains of some small creature. I stopped, leaning against a cubicle wall as I telekinetically pulled a thorn-shaped bit of broken bone from my hoof, which beaded with blood. There were other little skeletons all over the floor. That auditorium! That was the room where Fluttershy was talking to her ministry ponies in the orb's memory. Velvet Remedy was reciting it, or reliving it, or something. And that struck you as something we ought to let her keep doing? Calamity snapped. I... I don't know. Velvet is a performer. And I don't think that was... I hope that was just her doing a performance. Her one chance to be on Fluttershy's stage, but... I turned to my Pegasus friend. 
the first friend I'd ever really had. Fluttershy's ministry created the Megaspell's Calamity. I admitted to him. Whoa! Calamity stopped midair, hovering. You say what now? They were originally intended as mass healing spells. She never meant for them to be used as weapons of death. Calamity groaned. Velvet. She doesn't know yet, but sooner or later she's going to find out. And when that happens, do you think it will be any easier if we denied her the chance to do whatever she was doing? Fuck! Calamity bucked one of the cubicle walls, punching his hoof through it. We moved on. The officers quiet except for the background music of Calamity rummaging through desks and filing cabinets. The air in here was clear, if musty and old. Yet it felt like the pink cloud was all around us, eating at my friends, its corrosion seeping even into our friendships. We made our way through the floor without talking again, past the cubicles and the smaller offices, until we reached a curving yellow hallway. On the inner curve was a simple wooden door, the frame around it covered in little birdhouses. Along the bottom of the door were several smaller doors, as if designed for creatures to move in and out as they pleased. Along the outer curve were two pairs of stately, arched double doors made of polished mahogany. These two had little animal doors built into them. The far set was open, but all I could see into the room was part of a wall. The curve of the hall prevented me from seeing the other end, but I didn't need to. Just beyond the open doors there was a sign mounted on the hallway ceiling, the glass plate reading elevators still backlit by a slightly flickering light. I checked my EFS for signs of hostility, but the whole floor was dead. Nudging Calamity, I suggested, Let's finish this up. I want to get out of here. You take that door. I motioned towards the small, peculiar inner door. I'll take these. Calamity nickered unhappily, but flew ahead to the smaller door. I was wagering that an office designed to allow small animals was the less likely to have dangerous defences. Not that I was expecting anything threatening from either room. The Ministry of Peace had been entirely, even eerily, peaceful. I watched as Calamity opened the door to the inner office. It wasn't even locked. I then shifted to the closest set of mahogany double doors. Inside was a meeting room, dominated by a rich table crafted exquisitely from the same mahogany as the doors. Chairs were overturned. Papers and folders were scattered. The opposite wall was dominated by a huge picture window that stared out over the paint-tainted ministry walk. The room held a single skeleton, that of a mare whose body dangled from the window. A forehoof melted into the glass. There were imperfections radiating away from her hoof, cracks in the window which had fused back together before the pressure outside could grow enough to blow the window in. A once beautiful saddle purse hung rotting from her bones, the bottom having torn away dumping its contents on the floor. Was that Fluttershy? My heart sank, a knot forming in my throat. I stepped closer, my eyes fixed on the skeleton, only to run into the table. Somehow, part of me was sure that it was Fluttershy, that she had... No, wait. I felt a flood of relief as I realised it wasn't the kind yellow pegasus after all. It couldn't be. No wing bones, a horn. This was a unicorn. Probably a secretary or a nurse. Possibly a caretaker of Fluttershy's animals while she was away. But not Fluttershy herself. As I walked around the table to get a closer look, I spied the far wall where a chalkboard hung between two monitors. The meeting room had been designed for multimedia presentations. Amongst the strange diagrams, the chalkboard bore four words written in bold yellow chalk. Save the first letter of each word was in pink. Communally Assured Reciprocal Existence. I felt weak, 
Oh, poor Fluttershy. I stumbled and sat in a chair. The chair promptly fell apart, dumping me onto the floor. Blinking, I found myself looking between the table's legs at the hind hooves of the dangling skeleton and the collection of rubbish that had fallen out of her purse. Amongst the decayed garbage lay a statuette, still pristine, a yellow pegasus surrounded by birds and butterflies, a small family of chipmunks and a white rabbit. She was smiling at them sweetly from behind the curtain of her pink mane, a look of gentle caring in her eyes. I got up, walking closer until I could see. Be pleasant. The final of the Ministry Mayor statuettes. I now had a full set, only I wasn't going to keep this one. I knew a unicorn who needed her more than I did. Besides, wouldn't it be wrong for corrupted kindness to be carrying around the statue of the bearer of the element of kindness? Wouldn't I be dishonouring her somehow? So it was with every intention of giving the Fluttershy statuette to Velvet Remedy that I wrapped it in my magic, and everything changed. I felt a surge of magic, much like with the others, but this time it was accompanied by something more, something greater. As I lifted the Fluttershy statuette before me, I knew that I was going to keep her. Not out of selfishness, not because it was something I wanted or felt I deserved. The statuettes wanted to be together. The Ministry Mayors needed to be together. They were meant to be. Fluttershy, Rainbow Dash, Pinkie Pie, Twilight Sparkle, Rarity, Applejack. They were stronger when they were together. Better. Separating them had been the worst thing any pony could have done to them. I knew that, and now that I brought them together, I knew I couldn't separate them again. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Calamity dumped out the medical supplies he had found. I found Fluttershine's personal office, he told Velvet Remedy. And no, before you ask... She wasn't there, but she left us all this. Velvet Remedy's smile touched her eyes, making them sparkle. It was as if Fluttershy herself had left the supplies we would need just for us. Cabinet weren't even locked, Calamity commented. Velvet began sorting through the medicine. Calamity had simply grabbed everything. I recognized super restoration potions and healing potions, enough to get us through three cantalots with some to spare. Painkillers, too. Most of the rest, however, were beyond my ken. Veterinary medicine, Velvet Remedy explained, dividing the pills for animals from the drugs for ponies. Then she took a few from the former pile. For Pyolite, just in case. Pyolite gave an exaggerated hacking sound and then shot Velvet a challenging look. 
Oh, you'll take your medicine if I give it to you. Velvet shot back, eyes narrowing but smiling nonetheless. I have enough problem patients with these ponies. Fluttershy's office was more like an office for a doctor than the head of a whole branch of the equestrian government. Calamity mused. There was even an arch art on the wall, but with nuts. He placed a hoof over one of his eyes, mimicking. Acorn, almond, walnut, cashew, peanut, uh, another acorn. Velvet wrapped the healing potions in her magic and divided them amongst us. Keep these with you. In a place like this, it makes no sense for only one pony to be carrying all the medical supplies. Then she scooped the rest into her medical boxes, save for a selection that she had set aside for steel hooves. Turning to the outcast ranger, Velvet cautioned, Now, I'm giving you what I can, including about half of the painkillers, but Fluttershy didn't stock up on combat drugs, so I'm afraid you'll have to do without Buck and Dash and whatever else you've been pumping into your body. She tisked. And we still need to find you a radiation pit as soon as we can, before you go tussling with anything too nasty. Steelhooves nickered but said nothing, letting Velvet Remedy access the medical dispensary in his armour. Calamity pulled out a few cans and boxes of food he had scavenged from a wall-mounted vendor. I felt a rumble in my gut and realised I was starving. Two hundred-year-old snack cakes didn't sound too appetising, but what Calamity put before us was all we had. We had left all our provisions with Zenith and the starving zebras of Glyphmark. Y'all be thrilled to know that Fluttershy and her ministry are apparently all vegetarians too, Calamity quipped. Velvet Remedy shot him a look. Calamity! I can't believe that even after Arbor you would still think of eating meat. She pointed a hoof at me. Even little Pippers learn better. Gee, thanks, I muttered. Calamity shrugged. Spoken like some pony who ain't never tasted bacon. Damn. I had to admit I was going to miss bacon, but after unwillingly eating another pony, I don't think I could stomach it. Velvet neighed, eyes narrowing as she stepped towards the Pegasus, bringing them almost muzzle to muzzle. You know, sometimes I think the reason you don't have as much trouble with those cannibals as we did is because you like meat, and you don't see eating ponies as very far removed from eating rat hog. Calamity whinnied back, eyes narrowing in return. And sometimes, I think the reason your stablefoot get all uppity about eating meat is because you don't see it more from being a step away from eating ponies. So much for eating. I watched helplessly as the two lovers glared at each other. Ponies are supposed to be vegetarians. Eating meat is a perversion. Every time you do it, you let the wasteland win a little. Nonsense! It's survival! Calamity countered. Hell, even eating ponies is a victimless crime. After all, they're dead. They don't care. It's only when pony folks start killing other ponies, like the bastards in Arbu did, that I reckon they've done anything wrong. More glowering. The air between them was so tense I was waiting for something to explode, giving equal odds to them shooting each other or kissing. Finally, Velvet Remedy suggested in a low voice, Let's say we just back away and go to the next building before one of us says something he will regret. I reckon y'all will say something you'll regret first. On the contrary... Enough! I shouted, unable to take the tension. I magically scooped up all of the uneaten food and dumped it into my saddlebags. Seriously, both of you! I stomped. To the next building! Calamity, you're with me in the front. Velvet, you're in the back. I grumped, floating up all of our weapons and supplies. Goddesses, I can't take it with you anymore! Pilot landed on Steelhoof's battle saddle. I swear that bird was laughing. We were halfway between the Ministry of Peace and the Ministry of Arcane Sciences when the Alicorn spotted us. 
she was standing on the roof of Twilight's ministry, staring down into the walk below. At first, I had mistaken her for a carved statue. The whole ministry building had a vaguely alicorn motif. The knight on the ministry walk chessboard. The dark blue stone was probably meant to honour Luna. The wall that encompassed the base of the building was of smooth marble with silver inlays and embedded diamonds in the form of the constellations. The sort of display you would expect from a tastelessly ostentatious observatory or a really bad dress. Even with the red light on my EFS, I was legitimately surprised when I thought what was part of the architecture launched itself into the air and swooped down towards us, her magical shield flickering to life around her. I collapsed, clutching my ringing ears as the shot from Spitfire's thunder pierced the alicorn's shield and tore through her neck, splattering her blood against the inside of the shield behind her. The shield flickered out as the alicorn ploughed into the ground at our hooves. Velvet Remedy moved to me, dipping her head to nip my barding, helping me back to my hooves. As soon as I was standing, she backed away, saying something, but I couldn't hear her over the ringing in my ears. Comprehending my blank expression, she pointed a hoof up towards the field of Ministry Walk. I twisted, and my EFS compass filled with red lights. The shot had brought a lot of attention. Alicorns were beginning to look this way, a few of them already taking flight. Steel hooves galloped past us, ignoring the Ministry buildings completely, firing missiles and rapid-fire grenades at the clusters of alicorns. The field of Ministry Walk erupted in dirt, smoke and flame. Calamity fired Spitfire's thunder as quickly as the massive weapon would allow, taking aim at the shielded alicorns while Steelhooves dashed through the thick pink pool, tearing apart those too slow to react with his patented level of massive overkill. One of the alicorns on the far side of the pink water reared up. I'll bring the head of the Pegasus to Nightseer myself! She launched into the air, her shield sparkling to life around her. Yarrr! Calamity asked indignantly his muzzle still biting down on Spitfire's thunder. The shot passed through the heart of the flash where the alicorn had been an eye blink before. At the same instant, the dark purple monster appeared in another flash right behind Calamity. I charged, Velvet Remedy galloping beside me as I fired a little Macintosh, the bullets sparking as they ricocheted off the alicorn's shield. The alicorn's horn glowed. I slid to a stop, gasping as I watched blood from the crashed alicorn corpse behind Calamity float up wrapped in the purple alicorn's magic, and begin to take shape. Calamity spun around, but the alicorn was too close. The barrel of Spitfire's thunder struck the shield, knocking it out of Calamity's teeth. Velvet Remedy skidded to a stop, pressing her glowing horn against the alicorn's shield as she cast her anaesthetic spell, the ball of light manifesting just inside the shield and striking the alicorn. The alicorn collapsed inside her shield, her body paralysed, but her magic still unhindered. The blood from the dead alicorn next to us solidified into a ruddy blade. The bloodsword flew at Calamity. He reared back, the blade slicing past him, leaving a shallow cut below his neck that wept blood. I could hear the whoosh of Steelhoof's rockets and the continuous thunder of his grenade machine gun. From the sound, he had switched a high explosive grenade in an effort to beat down an alicorn's shield. The bloodsword circled around, diving for Calamity's face. My Pegasus ring clamped down on the bit of his battle saddle, firing. The sword burst as he shot it out of the air. Y'all run ahead, Calamity shouted. I've got this one. He kicked up Spitfire's thunder and snatched the muzzle bit in his mouth. The paralysed Alicorn looked up at him from inside her shield, eyes widening. Velvet Remedy began urging me towards the Ministry of Arcane Sciences, and then began galloping towards it herself.
I quickly followed, Calamity covering our backs and Steel Hooves. Well, Steel Hooves seemed to have forgotten the rest of us completely. He was just being the mighty Alicorn Hunter, steel-armoured scourge of monsters in the equestrian wasteland. Calamity spun around as two more shielded Alicorns dove out of the darkening pink sky. He lifted Spitfire's thunder, taking aim. Ah, oh, crap! Calamity's eyes widened, deciding there was no time to reload. The Pegasus turned tail, flying after us. The two alicorns swooped over the pool, their shields skimming the pink water. They swerved broadly around Steelhooves, giving him a wide berth. Steelhooves tried to turn towards them, but he was far enough into Ministry Walk's reflective pool that the watery pink sludge was impeding his movement. The alicorns left him behind, chasing after Calamity. I heard multiple cracks of thunder as the air lit up with bright flashes as several alicorns fired bolts of lightning into the reflective pool. Steelhooves let out a deep-throated scream as arcs of electricity lashed over his armour, then collapsed into the water, vanishing beneath it. Damn it! I changed course, dropping our supplies behind me and running towards the water, dodging as I tried to make myself a difficult target. I searched for Steelhooves with my EFS, but there was no light. Either he was dead again, or the supersaturated pink water was impairing my Pitbuck's targeting spell. A wing of alicorns took flight soaring over the violently sundered corpses of several of their sisters. A fourth cast another lightning bolt, the flash momentarily blinding. I could feel the heat and smell ozone as the bolt ripped through the air less than a yard from my body. I reached the edge of the pool and jumped, wrapping myself in magic and telekinetically flying over the pool, swerving as much as I could while keeping my head down, looking for any trace of our fallen metal paladin. If I could just spot him, I could wrap him in a levitation field and... My head exploded, my horn feeling like it had been cracked apart. Even as I screamed, I knew there was a broadcaster hidden in the water. I dropped, all four hooves splashing down into the thick pink sludge before I caught myself. My head was splitting open from the effort. My horn felt like it was trying to screw itself into my head. I was certain that the necromantic energies were somehow focusing on the source of my magic. I had to find the broadcaster and get rid of it. No, I had to go up, get away. I somehow noticed, awareness, that the alicorns were holding back. This was the same spot the others had reared around before. I had thought they were avoiding steel hooves, but even as I screamed in agony, I realised, be smart, that they had been avoiding the broadcaster. I could feel a new agony, a terrible burning in my hooves and legs. My magic imploded and I dropped into the vicious pink pool with a splash. Now my whole body was burning. I clapped my muzzle shut thrashing involuntarily from the pain. If I drank it, even a little, I was surely dead. I forced myself to focus past all the pain. I no longer wanted to get myself away from the pink pool or the broadcaster. I could no longer comprehend moving. Now, in utter desperation, I tried to get them away from me. With all the concentration I could manage, I wrapped the entire pool in my magic and floated the water, the skeletons, everything that wasn't me up as high and as fast as I could. The supersaturated pink water over the reflective pool flew into the air. I looked up, gasping as the pain in my horn and head receded. The burning faded, lingering most heavily around my right foreleg. I stood, shaking violently, flinging the pink water off my body until I almost felt dry, and then I dared to open my eyes. The alicorns had flown back away from me in the suddenly flying pool of water overhead. They stared and murmured to each other in voices I could best describe as concerned. I looked up, 
In the last rays of twilight, I could see hundreds of small coins and bottle caps glistening along the bottom of the water. I could see skeletons floating in it, many of them fused together. I spotted steel hooves, his metal-shod tail dangling down out of the liquid pink. I gingerly separated him from the liquid mass above me. I looked the way I had came. Calamity, Velvet Remedy and Pylite were all staring with expressions trapped between screaming and cheering. I tried to gallop towards them, ticking steel hooves with me, but searing agony shot up my right foreleg and I fell onto my face. My body had been through too much. I didn't want to cooperate anymore, but even through the dull pounding in my head, I was able to focus enough to wrap myself in magic. The pain in my head spiked, the throbbing jumping in order of magnitude, but I slowly pushed myself back towards the edge of the pool and my friends, steel hooves in tow, releasing more and more of the crowd-saturated water as I went. The pink liquid poured down like a curtain behind me. I felt myself starting to pass out. The effort of self-levitation was too taxing, and my body was screaming from abuse. Suddenly, I felt warm forelegs wrapped about me. Calamity had flown out underneath the floating lake of pink and was taking me to safety. He soared over the edge of the pool just as my spell collapsed completely. I heard steel hooves drop onto the field with a metallic thump. Velvet turned and galloped towards him, her horn glowing. Calamity didn't stop, flying towards the entrance of the Ministry of Arcane Sciences. Hold on, Pip, he encouraged as he flew through the front doors. And I was gone. I felt a moment of freefall. I didn't even think I hit the floor. And then, blackness. The Butterfly Orb The yellow carpeted floor raced under my feet. I could feel my nerves on edge. I found myself trapped in a small, utterly alien body as I darted between the hooves of the scrambling, panicking ponies. A constant rumbling thunder filled the air, mingling with cries and shouts from the ponies I was scampering through as I raced down the aisles between a city of cubicles. A magenta pony spilled a shower of papers in front of me as she fled the room. One of the sheets slapped me in the face as I barreled through them. I made it through the offices and found myself charging down a huge, curving hallway, my little heart pounding in my chest. I heard a mare screaming from beyond the set of mahogany doors. The voice was filled with rage and tears. How could they? How could they do this? I dashed for the little door built into the room of the larger one. A little door just my size. They, they've ruined everything. They've ki ki killed everyone. The meeting room looked just like it had been hit by a tornado, and it really had. A yellow and pink tornado in the form of Fluttershy. I burst into the room just in time to see her hurl a terminal through the glass of the seemingly gigantic picture window, shattering a large hole in it. The sound of impossible thunder amplified. Outside the window, I could see the sky shimmering and rippling with explosions as zebra missiles pounded against the princess's shield. Each impact brought a fiery flash of light spreading across the shield, the surface rippling outward like water around a dropped rock. Fluttershy stood on the table, shaking and stomping, her face streamed with tears and contorted in rage. She looked around for something else to throw, something else to break. I... I gave them life and the... and, and they... I knew this room. I had just been here. The window had already begun to repair itself, the shattered hole growing smaller as the spiderweb of cracks thinned and shrunk. Ministry magic. The building was alive. It healed. I leapt up onto a chair, 
and from there onto the table, rushing to Fluttershy's sides. They... I... The poor Pegasus sobbed horribly, trembling on the verge of collapse. I did this! This is all my fault! I reached Fluttershy, wrapping myself around a forehoof, hugging her tight, trying to comfort her. Oh? She looked down at me and I felt her tears splash onto my forehead. Oh, oh, Angel, what have I done? Every pony, all the helpless little critters, they're all going to die, and it's all my fault! Fluttershy toppled onto the table, burying her face and wailing. Beyond her, I saw that fateful writing, communally assured reciprocal existence. I held Fluttershy, stroking her anxiously, just trying to help, feeling terrible. She didn't deserve this. This wasn't her fault. Outside, the pounding thunder and violent light show continued. With a bang, the second set of mahogany doors at the front of the meeting room slammed open as a white unicorn burst into the room. Her gorgeous purple maiden tail looked frazzled, and a beautiful saddle purse hung next to the three diamonds of her cutie mark. Fluttershy? Rarity called out, looking out and spotting the crumpled, weeping Pegasus. Oh, oh goodness! Rarity trotted up hurriedly. Fluttershy, darling, we have to go! She prodded at the sobbing, broken Pegasus. We've only half an hour until they're supposed to steal up stable one. We have to get inside. I couldn't tell her that it was probably already too late. Leave me. Fluttershy whimpered. You go, Rarity. Save yourself. I... I d deserve to die. Rubbish. Rarity put her forehooves under Fluttershy's head, lifting her tear-streaked face. You deserve to live, probably more than the most of us. I won't let you die here. Rare? A small tear dripped down one of Rarity's cheeks. I love you, Fluttershy, and I'm not going to let you stay. Rarity smiled softly, but her voice broke at no argument. Now pull yourself up and come with me, or I'll drag you all the way with my teeth. I looked between Fluttershy and Rarity, one paw still petting the yellow Pegasus gently. All three of us turned to the window. It had almost repaired itself, the hole now the size of a baseball. Outside, the shield continued to fluctuate under the massive fiery barrage. And then we saw it, a thick pink mist rolling over the city. It consumed block after block, flooding down alleys and boiling over the tops of buildings. Rarity let out a gasp as the thick pink mist splashed against the towering Ministry of Image, breaking around it as the same wave of pink rolled over the Ministry of Arcane Technology, drowning it completely. I blinked, and the Ministries on the opposite end of Ministry Walk were gone. Then the trees were gone. The pink cloud washed over the grassy park, the reflecting pool and all the panicked, terrified ponies below. The wall of pink rushed at us. The park was gone. Rarity gasped again, this time spotting the hole in the window. She threw herself towards it. The trees were gone. Rarity slammed a forehoof over the hole. The wall of pink hit the Ministry of Peace. There was nothing outside the window anymore. The cracks that remained in the window began to warp and melt, fusing together. Rarity groaned in pain, but she held her hoof firm against the hole not letting the cloud get inside. Rare? Rarity's eyes opened wide. She gazed at the window, whispering in a low tone of comprehension. 
This is necromantic. Rarity turned to Fluttershy, who is staring at the window in horror. Forget stable one, Fluttershy. I'm getting you to safety. And with that, she focused, her horn glowing. A flash of light burst around Fluttershy, and the yellow Pegasus was gone. I felt the worry and anger etch across my face. I scampered up to Rarity and kicked at her. She looked down at me, her horn glowing again as she opened her saddle purse. Don't worry, Angel. I've sent her someplace safe. I kicked at her impatiently. Ow, okay. I sent her to Zakora's hut in the Everfree Forest. Well, at least I got her very close to it. The zebras are attacking pony population centers. There are no ponies in that forest, so it is the only place I'm sure they will not attack. She smiled as she drew out a memory orb. Don't worry, Angel. I'll send you to her. But first, I need to leave a message for Twilight. Rarity stared down at me. Twilight, darling. I've sent Fluttershy away, and if I can, I'll be going too. I don't want you teleporting around town, looking for... Uh, oh, oh, this is bad. Rarity faltered. I could see even this small contact with the pink cloud was beginning to kill her. Don't look for us. Don't stay in Cantalot, but there is... Uh, Rarity thudded against the window weakly. Her hoof would have dropped away, but it couldn't anymore. It had become part of the glass. Listen, Twilight. In my desk, in my office, there's a very special book. It's hidden in a secret compartment. You may have to tear the desk apart to get it, but... Ah! But don't worry. I won't mind. Twilight, it's a spell book, and... Rarity began to cough violently. And I believe it has a spell that can be used to... To defeat this necromancy. You... You must get that book. Rarity leaned against the glass, her hoof supporting her weight now. Still, she floated the memory orb close to me. I realised suddenly why she'd been talking to me like I was Twilight Sparkle. My memory was going to be the message. Her horn glowed. Don't worry, Angel. This won't hurt. As soon as I'm done, I'll send you to Flut... I groaned. I think my whole body hated me for still being alive. My headache had ratcheted up to the point where it was hard to think straight. My right foreleg itched horribly beneath my pit buck. Everything else just hurt. Too much physical trauma in too short a period of time. My body was crying out for me to stop. I'd lost count of how many times I'd been shot, beaten, poisoned. Wounds that would normally take weeks or months to heal. Instead, I drowned myself in potions of magical healing, letting them mend everything and then throwing myself back into the fray. Pain had become as much a companion for me as my friends. But these things, the broadcasters and the pink cloud, they were so much worse. They tore me apart in ways a bullet never could, attacking everywhere at once. Attacking my magic, attacking my brain. Even with potions of healing and restorations, I couldn't help but feel that deep and permanent damage was being done. I wasn't going to live to a ripe old age. One day, everything I'd been putting my body through would catch up to me, and I would die young. Part of me wanted to quit while I was ahead, but every part of me knew that I could never quit. Quitting was surrender. I couldn't even rest, as much as I knew I should. Every day I rested was a day that others who I could have saved would die. If I'd rested an extra hour, the young zebra would have been slain by those bloodwings. 
If I'd rested an hour less, I would have been able to save his friends as well. Pain I could handle, as long as I was alive and still able to make a difference. I wondered if this was how Steelhooves felt. I'd saved him. He hadn't been moving, but I knew he couldn't be dead. The lightning may have rendered him unconscious or knocked his armor spell matrix offline. Either way, if I hadn't gotten to him, the Alicorns would have. The broadcaster wouldn't have saved him, although it definitely bought him time. Thank the goddesses I had at least managed to levitate the liquid pink sludge away before I had inhaled any of it. Thanks Celestia and Luna that I'd drunk healing potions minutes earlier and didn't fall into that pool with open wounds from those cantalot dragon hatchlings. I couldn't tell if I'd been supremely lucky or supremely unlucky. And now that I thought of it, I'd come out of it with a new weapon against the Alicorns. Granted, one that was indiscriminately lethal, but it had to be possible to use the broadcasters to my advantage. But first I needed to... Where the hell was I? Calamity? Velvet Remedy? I was alone. Steel hooves? Pyolite? Completely alone. I was laying on a soft, cushioned bed. I tried to sit up, and a thunderclap went off in my pounding head, knocking me back down and leaving tears in my eyes. I brought up my eyes forward sparkle, not remembering turning it off, and scanned the medical warnings. I needed to drink a super restoration potion, possibly several, and painkillers. I needed painkillers. I didn't have any. I didn't have anything. No weapons, no supplies. I vaguely remember dropping our weapons and supply packs when I first went chasing after steel hooves. I groaned at the thought of little Macintosh lying abandoned out in that field. I felt like I'd lost a friend. Hopefully, Velvet Remedy had grabbed everything before following us. But doing so would have been taxing for her limited telekinesis, and I couldn't imagine her prioritizing weapons when she had steel hooves to care for. But I wasn't wearing my utility barding either and I definitely didn't strip down before my unintentional swim. I felt truly naked as I realized I didn't even have my hacking tools. Looking around, I was in a library. No, an anthonium. And a big one. Bigger even than Twilight Sparkle's anthonium in Tempony Tower. I remember the recording that Armaja played for me. Rarity talking to Twilight. I have just heard my ministry is about to purge the Podiville Library of ideologically incompatible books, and I knew right away that you'd want to keep them for yourself. I know the Ministry of Magical Ministry Walk has a much bigger library, but we can't get away with diverting these wagons to Cantalot, now can we? If only I could spare the time to just sit and read. Ah, you're awake! The voice startled me. It was Urbane, the voice of a gentle stallion. I quickly looked around, wincing as the pain in my head amplified from the sudden movement, blurring my vision. Good morning, ma'am! Morning? Oh, goddess, as I've been asleep all night? and no pony had found me. This was unspeakably bad. Who are you? I asked the mysterious stranger. Um, where am I? Wordsworth at your service, ma'am. You are in Twilight Sparkle's Anthony, ma'am. I blinked away tears, turning my head more slowly as I began to mentally hone in on the source of the voice. There he was. Or it, rather. A mechanical owl. A much fancier version of the one I'd seen following the merchant who had set up in the remains of Trixie's cottage. I remembered fighting owls similar to this one in the Ministry of Morale Hub in Manhattan too. But this one looked more sophisticated, and more lovingly crafted, down to the bronze filigree of its feathers. Who? What are you? 
At least this mechanical owl didn't seem hostile. Wordsworth, ma'am. Twilight Sparkle's junior, junior, junior assistant. And how did I get here? Well, ma'am, the owl said, sounding embarrassed. When a bear and a stallion love each other, or have made certain binding contracts... I interrupted quickly. Into this room, I mean. The pony in the back of my head was blinking. Certain binding contracts? But then this was Cantalot, the home of royalty and nobility. You were teleported here, ma'am. Security protocols. The ministry is under lockdown. All visitors and staff are teleported to their proper areas, and intruders are remanded to secure containment areas. Cells, he meant. The itching under my pit buck was driving me crazy. Further questions revealed that the lockdown had been running constantly since the environmental catastrophe over 200 years ago. Furthermore, all the teleportation zones were inside the Ministry building, but Wordsworth couldn't tell me where any of the others had been sent. Neither could the Owl give a satisfactory explanation of how I'd rated teleportation in Twilight Sparkle's private library. I got the sense that the security system wasn't functioning quite the way it was supposed to. It had degraded under centuries of continuous operation, and I was probably lucky I hadn't been teleported into a bookshelf or a wall. And what about my clothing? All foreign objects bearing trace amounts of toxins were teleported to sanitation. I really hope that didn't mean incineration. I would like them back, please. Certainly, ma'am. Wordsworth responded pleasantly. Sanitation has been completed. They will be returned to the wardrobe immediately. Another fear shot through me. If this magical security system had stripped me of my armour, then would it try to strip Steelhoof's armour off him? Or would it recognise something melded to him as integral? That was assuming Velvet Remedy was able to get him to the safety of the Ministry building. My mind conjured the alarming image of Velvet running into the Ministry, levitating Steelhoof's behind her, only to be teleported away, leaving Steelhoof's helpless outside on the doorstep. If he was inside, and still alive, for those definitions of alive that include Cantalot ghouls, then he was separated like the rest of us. My friends could be anywhere in the building. Again, I remembered they had all night to try and find me. The fact that they hadn't most likely meant they were in bad shape. I moaned and tried to sit up again. My EFS was still flashing health alerts at me. I lifted my pitbuck to check the auto map wishing all my friends wore pitbucks just so I could locate their tags. Of course, that's exactly the problem that got me into this whole mess a month and a half ago, wasn't it? I looked at my foreleg and stopped breathing. I wasn't wearing my pitbuck anymore. Where the metal device should stop and my flesh should start, they didn't. Instead, they melded seamlessly into one another. I felt sick looking at it. I'd been so casual to dismiss the possible danger before, but now that it had actually happened, I felt a sense of violation and loss that I just couldn't explain. I, I just wasn't me anymore. I dropped back onto the bed, curled up and cried. Wordsworth? I whimpered several minutes later as I tried to fight the hollow feeling in my heart. I, I need medical supplies. Any painkillers, healing and restoration potions you can give me. Would you not prefer to use the autonomous healing booth, ma'am? The what now? The, okay, yes. Where is this healing booth? Never again. I felt better, physically, than I had in weeks. Psychologically, I was shaken to the point of collapse. The healing booth 
was a solid metal tube barely bigger than a pony. Stepping into it had been like stepping into my own coffin. The air had been stifling even before the door slid closed behind me, plunging me into darkness. I had never felt claustrophobic before. If anything, I was prone to sudden onsets of agoraphobia. But in that metal casket, in the absolute darkness, with the sounds that horrible thing made. And then I had started to feel the magical energies probing me, washing over me like some sort of slimy alien massage from an invisible and horrible creature. Never, ever again. Even though my body felt better, I knew I would have nightmares for weeks. I could already anticipate waking in a cold sweat, feeling the dream terror of being trapped endlessly in that autonomous healing station. It had worked perfectly, as it was supposed to, and yet manticores couldn't drag me back into one if I was at the edge of death. I shuddered to imagine the horror one of those things could inflict if it wasn't functioning properly, if it malfunctioned or suffered degradation from the cloud. I felt myself shiver. The walls were covered in a soft, velvety cloth, burgundy in colour with sparkling accents. That gave the hallway a rich, luxurious feel. Oil paintings hung on the walls. I passed a spot where a large oval of darker cloth betrayed the removal of what had probably been a portrait. Ahead of me, the hallway ended at the door, marked Spell Testing. Some pony had scrawled the words Spell in a box on the door in what looked like dried blood. From the end of the X, the blood streaked down to meet a dark stain on the floor. Not a good sign, I muttered to myself. I was appropriately creeped out. As I approached, I could faintly hear the hissing sound coming from behind it, like a hundred dying snakes. I stopped, psyching myself up, taking deep breaths, and opening the door from a distance with my magic. Through it, I could see another door at the far end of the laboratory. One more deep breath, and I broke into a run. I galloped through the doorway and into the lab, my ears filling with the sound of static. The headache that the healing station had rid of me returned with a passion, accompanied with a familiar pressure in my horn. I didn't have a firearm, no way to take out the speaker. I just had to get through the lab and out of its range before it could kill me. Blood began to tint my vision as I reached the opposite door. It was locked. I telekinetically fumbled at the lock, the pain in my horn escalating, the deadly effect of the broadcaster tearing at my brain. I'd spent nearly an hour in the healing station, and for the first time since leaving Tempony, I'd actually felt healthy. I'd been allowed to enjoy that sensation for less than 40 minutes. I unlocked the door and pushed it open, stepping out of the lab and outside the speaker's kill zone. I panted, leaning against the railing, blinking away blood and tears. Then I looked down into a grand hall lined with sweeping staircases. Below me was a fountain similar to the one in Homage's foyer, only the statue here was of two identical unicorn mares frolicking. On the walls to each side were oil paintings, including a royal portrait of a smiling green-coated unicorn mare with a darker green mane. Hanging opposite was what appeared to be the same mare, only with the colours of her coat and mane swapped. Velvet? I called out. Calamity? Any pony home? My voice echoed in the stately and empty corridor. At the end of the grand hall, in the crux of multiple stairways that spread out like butterflies' wings, was a very important-looking, high-arched set of double doors flanked by unicorn busts. I was unsurprised that they were locked. I was very surprised from the moment I started to pick the locks that two energy turrets dropped down and started shooting at me. I was immediately thankful that my armoured utility body had been returned as I spun and dove over the railing of the nearest stairwell. 
catching myself with levitation as soon as I was behind cover. I suppose that I should consider myself lucky that my barding hadn't been submerged in the pink pool long enough to fuse to my body, and that my hacking and repair tools had likewise not been fused together or otherwise warped into uselessness. Having my pitbuck melted into my arm was a brutal enough blow, and I had never wanted to take it off. Yeah, that would have made my relationship with Armage really difficult, my little pony teased. I shushed her, annoyed, and turned my focus to unlocking the door from safety. It was proving a tough lock, but I'd faced one tougher already today. I saw a purple flash from above me and heard a crackle. This door had magical defences beyond just the turrets. If I'd been trying this with my trusty screwdriver and a bobby pin, I would be in a bad state. Click. Yes. I eased myself to the floor, turning my focus to the fountain. The glow of my magic washed over the pooled water. I lifted the water into the air, using it to shield me overhead as I galloped back up the stairs. The magical energy turret spotted me and turned to fire, each shot evaporating off my shield in a puff of steam. By the time I got through the door, there was barely enough left to fill a wastebasket. I was so thankful there weren't more turrets waiting inside. Instead, I found myself in what I quickly deduced was the head researcher's office. Bookshelves, filing cabinets, tapestries, arcane spellwork tables. The room was laid out symmetrically around a carpet with an intricate star pattern of alternating colours. Two rather impressive desks faced each other, with oil paintings of the same green ponies hung on walls behind them. Not portraits this time, but full paintings which allowed me to see their matching cutie marks, spiralling magical sparks intertwined with each other. On each desk sat a terminal next to a glass placard with a name sealed inside, made out of sparkling glitter. Gestalt and Mosaic. Trotting around the desks, I spotted a weapon display case and several ammo boxes. Inside the display case was a magical plasma rifle and a multi-gem magical energy shotgun. The latter reminded me of Gord's gun. It took me less than a minute to make them mine. I was tempted to run back upstairs and shoot the damned death speaker, but I wasn't very good with magical energy weapons but I was sure I could take out a stationary target at close range. Moving to Mosaic's terminal, I drew up my tools and began to hack it. Mercifully, the pink saturated water that bound my pitbuck to me did not seem to impair its functioning. Stable tech didn't fool around when they made pitbucks. The devices had durability somewhere between steel hooves and a soul jar. Velvet? I asked as I pushed open the door I'd just unlocked. The chamber inside was pitch black, and my voice echoed off walls both far and strange. Little Pip? A voice called back from the darkness, sounding weak and relieved. A light flared, illuminating Velvet Remedy's horn, and then her eyes, mane and tail. Her charcoal coat seemed to blend into the void around her. Over here! I lit up my own horn, guiding her to me. She got up shakily and trotted quickly towards me. Oh, thank the goddesses, she whispered as she reached me, nuzzling my face. I... I was trapped in here for so long, alone, trapped. She said that twice. I didn't need an explanation. My lovely songbird friend had once again found herself caged and alone. She was trembling. It's okay, Velvet. I'm... I'm sorry it took so long to find you. What happened? Where am I? Is Calamity okay? Is Pylite? What happened to Steelhoofs? I had him right with me. I lifted a hoof to her muzzle, quieting the flood of questions, and then wrapped her in an embrace. 
I wasn't surprised by how she folded into it. I was surprised by how quickly she regained her composure, pushing me away. Thank you, little Pip, but the others are who are important now. I nodded and began to fill her in. Thanks to the terminals of Mosaic and Gestalt, I had a pretty good idea of where Everypony was now. Velvet Remedy had been trapped in one of the mega-spell casting chambers that filled this entire floor. Steelhooves was somewhere in the Arcane Technologies Research Labs two floors below us. Calamity was somewhere in the basement, which included prisoner containment, ministry security, high security storage, and, incongruously, the ministry's kitchens. Pylite had never been registered as entering the building. Either she never got inside, or the security system had a phoenix-sized hole. Something had apparently gone seriously wrong in the basement. All of the security systems had been rerouted at the terminals of Mosaic and Gestalt, and communication with the basement had been severed. The Unicorn Twins had not only been the head researchers of the Ministry of Arcane Sciences in this hub, but for the Ministry as a whole. It appeared they were also regularly left in command of the Cantalot Hub, particularly while Twilight Sparkle was away at the Ministry Hub in Manhattan. As best I could tell, they weren't actually in the Ministry when the lockdown started, but I was able to lift it by issuing simultaneous commands from both their terminals. Thank you again, Telekinesis. As I finished telling Velvet Remedy what I knew, she looked at me curiously. Why didn't you have Wordsworth send you all of our equipment? I blinked and then face-hoofed. Because I am not a clever pony. We had to find sanitation as well. Damn it, this just got worse and worse. Well, why don't we run up and ask him before heading down further? Oh, yeah, that would be easier, wouldn't it? I dropped everything I was floating except the two magical weapons and dashed into the lab. The static doom of several broadcasters ripping apart my head and driving spikes into my horn. It was a repeat of three floors above, only this time I had a magical shotgun. I spun, looking around for speakers. Radios of skeletons with broadcasters attached to their civilian model pitbucks. I fired at the pitbuck clad leg of a unicorn skeleton. The short-range multi-blast of magical energy turned bone and broadcaster to slag. One shot missed the table radio completely, hitting a chemistry set three tables over, causing an explosion of glass and coloured steam. The second slagged the radio, killing its lethal output. Still static. Once more, my vision was red. I could feel blood trickling down my ears. Grenades were going off inside my head. I spotted the second broadcaster and lifted the multi-gem magical shotgun pulling the trigger. Nothing. The damn thing was recharging. In a panic, I fled to the far side of the lab. I pressed myself into the corner, breathing a sigh of relief as the vices crushing my horn and skull vanished. That last yard of space was outside the danger zone. I floated up the magical energy rifle, took careful aim and fired, and continued to fire, reloading twice, until I finally hit the little fucker. It's safe now, I called out. Velvet Remedy entered the lab and began to search it as I slumped in the corner and waited for the headache to die down more. She was wearing her medical boxes again, and started gathering supplies from the identical yellow medical boxes on one wall. So, I gasped, what exactly were you trying to do down in that auditorium? Velvet nickered. I already got this lecture from Calamity. She floated bottles and vials out of a medical box, pausing as she lifted out a multitubed injector. Rage? Why would this be down here? Rage is a Zebramade combat drug. Not a lecture, Velvet. I just wanted to understand. 
You scared the hell out of us. Calamity said that too, although louder. I hadn't been present for that particular argument. Calamity had flown ahead of me, rushing back to Velvet and Steelhooves after raiding Fluttershy's office. They'd been given plenty of time to argue too. I'd been lost in thought, contemplating the Ministry Mares, and had managed to get lost in the cubicles. Please, Velvet, I said, fighting to keep my voice gentle even with the throbbing of my head. I floated out another painkiller syringe and gave myself the shot. Almost immediately, the throbbing dulled to an ignorable level. I worried that I was seriously risking an addiction to painkiller. As if to drive home the worry, Velvet Remedy floated a tin of mintals out of the last medicine cabinet, opened it, flipped it upside down so the pills fell to the floor like a heavy snow, and then began stomping them to powder. She turned to me with an exasperated stare. Fluttershy was right there, little Pip. She'd stood right at that spot, saying those very words right on that stage. Fluttershy had tried to stop the war, stop the bloodshed and horror that ended up ruining the entire country. Her voice hitched. The entire world. She turned away from me. You wouldn't understand. Alpha Technologies, the sign claimed. The heavy metal door slid back, revealing the most secure laboratories in the Ministry of Arcane Sciences. Steel hooves! Velvet Remedy and I dashed inside. Our friend was laying on a circular platform, surrounded by a magical shield. At our entrance, he stood up. I think I even detected a whinny of relief. Velvet stopped just outside the shield, looking it over before asking him if he was okay. Clearly, the Alicorn's attack had knocked him unconscious after all, but he'd regained it hours ago. 5.3 hours ago, according to Steelhooves, who had nothing better to do than watch the timekeeper on his visor's EFS count away. Even if his weapons could disable the shields, the explosions would have torn him apart in that confined space. Not even Steelhooves could survive dismemberment. I found the terminal which controlled the magical field and began to trick my way through the security. Soon, I was looking at the control system for the lab's several layers of security, as well as a series of project reports. I turned off the field, smiling to Steelhooves. Welcome back! Velvet Remedy gave him a hug that I knew he couldn't feel, but somehow made him look uncomfortable anyway. I've collected some more medicine for your dispensary, she chimed, and immediately he looked less uncomfortable. I chuckled and directed my attention to the terminal screen, perusing the reports, starting with those which had been subdivided into a category called Ghost. Report 347. Mosaic, or was it Gestalt, passed out a new project for Alpha today. Apparently, after over three years of pure failure from the mayors up in spellcrafting, the Ministry Mayor has given up on the Ministry's effort to reverse engineer Zebra invisibility magic into spell form. Given our success with the stealth buck, She's passed the project on to us, requesting that we design a sustainable magical device capable of indefinite invisibility, our own version of the Zebra's stealth cloak. This new project comes right on top of losing a member of the Alpha Herd, although from what I understand, that may make things easier on us. Officially, all I know is that Beaker has been suspended without pay. Unofficially, word has leaked down that Beaker is under investigation for accepting contributions from some pony within the Ministry of Technology in exchange for hampering the development of magical energy weapons. Sounds to me like there's a pony or two in the building next door who is more concerned with Ironshot Firearms market dominance than what's best for all the good ponies of Equestria. Report 397. Another day, another pointless daily report that no pony ever reads. 
The shipment of drugs has arrived from the Ministry of Morale. Three weeks late, and accompanied by two of their pink suitcase ponies who insisted on monitoring how the restricted drugs were used. I hear there were some hard words between one of the magic twins and the morale officials. You'd think, after all the work we put in on the talismans for their ridiculous balloons, they'd be more cooperative. End result. Even though the shipment is actually in the building, we're going to have to wait for at least three days while the administration pushes through new paperwork before the drugs will be cleared and we can finally start on the next round of tests on our prototype steel ranger medical dispenser. Continued efforts on improving the design and duration of stealth bucks seems to have hit a wall. The MG Stealth Buck 2 is the most advanced design we have managed. Taking advantage of the same recharging magical properties we have introduced into some of the newer lines of magical energy weapons, and possessing four times the duration of our original design. However, recharging takes hours, and the duration still falls short of our goal marks. Gestalt, or was it Mosaic, visited Alpha today to review our progress. After explaining our difficulties, she suggested we pursue a new avenue of experimentation. A stealth suit which takes advantage of a multiple stealth buck array. While one stealth buck was providing invisibility, the others could be recharging. I've passed our idea to the rest of the Alpha Herd, and we've started on some preliminary sketches. This looks promising. Report 444. Today was a good day to be in the Alpha Labs. Or more precisely, to not be two floors above. Somehow, the Mayor of the Ministry of Peace got wind of the sorts of mega-spell ritual chambers the ponies in spellcrafting have been designing. But such a soft-spoken and pleasant old girl, she's apparently a right terror when she gets angry. And there aren't enough bits in the Royal Treasury to make it worth facing an angry Ministry Mayor. After spending a month calibrating the new array, the Ghost Mayor suit is ready for its first live test. As well as the test turrets, I've brought Wonder into the office today. I figure if the Ghost Mayor suit can get by my cat, we have a winner. Twinkle and Daybreak have been particularly snippy with each other again today for no apparent reason. I suspect those two bucks are having an affair. If so, I hope they keep it quiet. Personally, I think they would make a cute couple. But we have fraternization rules for a reason. And the last thing I want is to lose one of them because the magic twins decide to put them on separate floors. Report 445. Wonder was a big hit in the office. Every member of the Alpha Herd gathered around and utterly spoiled her with attention. A few are even insisting that I bring her back again. I'll run it past the Magic Twins. Maybe I can spin having a lab cat as being good for morale. Sadly, the Ghost Smear suit was not as impressive. Not only did the suit fail to pass the Wonder Test, but we discovered that the array was draining power from all the stealth bucks while just one of them was running. The latter is a technical design problem, I'm sure of it. The former is more worrying. We ran three members of the herd through the test gauntlet with just stealth bucks alone and Wonder didn't catch any of them. Something in the suit, or maybe something in the array, is weakening the invisibility spell somehow. Fortunately, we have time to fix this before the next review. Nobody is paying attention to us down here with the big mess upstairs. Apparently, Fluttershy went to Twilight Sparkle, and now the Magic Twins are cleaning house. I don't get the politics involved here, but I do get the two dozen unicorns have been fired already, and this is just the first day. Another dozen have actually quit taking up an offer from the Ministry of Peace. I've even heard rumours that they may be planning to dismantle some of the chambers, or redesign them for purely defensive spells like the Ministry of Peace is demanding. But I don't put any stock in that gossip. Equestria isn't going to disarm itself in the middle of a war, especially not after Zebras successfully tested a mega spell of their own last week. Thanks to Wonder, we have finally got an insight into one of the issues plaguing the Ghost Mare Soup project. Apparently, 
The magic of Zeppa stealth cloaks is also designed to mitigate sound and smell. During the development of the stealth book, we had noticed the difference in the muffling effect between the Zeppa's artifacts and our own devices. We had this written off as an acceptable loss, particularly since the cloak's original sound dampening effect was relatively minor to begin with. We had not, however, noticed the olfactory effect. This was apparently of great concern to the Zebras, possibly on account of the plethora of dangerous wildlife rumored to exist in their homeland. Further proof that the Zebras are innately crazy. How could you imagine living in Equestria if it was full of roaming monsters? While the original Stealth Buck still retains at least a fraction of this effect, the MG Stealth Buck 2 does not, or more precisely, does not after its first use. For reasons still a mystery to us, the element of the spell refuses to function after the Stealth Buck 2 recharges. Twinkle let slip today, he and Daybreak are getting a cat. I made a seemingly off-hoofed comment about cats having a tendency to reveal things that should be kept secret. I hope he got the hint. Report 512. The Goosemer Suit Project suffered another setback today. I am amazed at how something so simple in concept can be so resistant to proper execution. I spent all last month solving the mutual depletion problem, only to find that the new array can't pass the stress tests. The Goosemer Suit isn't worth anything if it can't sustain invisibility after a one-yard fall. A few of the other researchers in the Alpha Herd have begun referring to this as Project Frustration. With other projects beginning to pile up, I'm going to have to take most of my ponies off this one down prioritizing it until things look a little more promising. Fortunately, Gestalt and Mosaic are out of Cantalot today, having an on-site meeting with Twilight Sparkle at a new facility out in Splendid Valley. Honestly, I can breathe a little easier when they aren't around. I personally find the Magic Twins a little creepy, particularly the way they finish each other's sentences. Doesn't anybody else get the shivers when they do that? It's as if Mosaic and Gestalt always know what the other is thinking. Like they're not so much twins as one mare stuck in two bodies. Okay, no more reading ghosts, goblins, and ghoulish figures on my break time. Report 550. Twilight Sparkle paid a surprise visit of the Alpha Lab today. To my dismay, she asked for an update on the Ghostmare Suit project. She had apparently hoped we were much further along, and had wanted to bring in Rarity, the Mayor of the Ministry of Image, what the hell, for a consultation on the suit's aesthetic design. Seriously, the suit's supposed to be invisible. Who the hell cares what it looks like? Twilight Sparkle asked me to put up with the nuisance anyway and give Rarity our full attention and respect. Afterwards, Daybreak suggested Twilight Sparkle was looking for a way to cheer up her friend, saying something afterwards about Rarity having been a dressmaker. Honestly, I have no idea how dumping more work on some pony in that position, particularly if it is pointless work, could possibly cheer a pony up. On the other hoof, the idea that one of the Ministry Mayors might be suffering wartime stress disorder is terrifying, so I told Daybreak to keep that opinion carefully under wraps. While Twilight Sparkle was clearly disappointed with our progress on that particular project, at least she was understanding. And she was considerably more pleased with our other projects, such as the Multigem Heavy Infantry Battle Saddle. Alpha Labs has continued to show a great deal of success in other projects, so I don't think we'll face any serious repercussions. She did, however, ask if there was any pony I believe we could spare to join the spellcrafting lab above us. Apparently they're researching something called a bypass spell, and have reached the point where they need a fresh mind. I told her I would get back to her on that. Tomorrow, I'm going to have a talk with Daybreak and Twinkle. I'd prefer to keep both of them, as they are excellent members of the herd. But if I'm going to end up losing one of them, I would rather it be done this way. I stopped skimming the reports. 
There were dozens more in Ghost alone and half a dozen other categories. Getting up, I looked about the lab, opening locked storage containers and equipment lockers. Oh, Calamity would be sorry he was missing this. There were tools in here I couldn't even guess the purpose of. I checked to make sure Velvet was still busy with steel hooves, reasoning that this wasn't sightseeing if I had to wait anyway, and then I levitated a duffel bag from under one of the tables, pulling it open and dumping out the empty cat carrier inside. I started scooping random tools and equipment into a duffel bag. Ready to go, little Pip? Velvet called out. Just one minute! I called back, cutting my scavenging short. There was still one storage container that I wanted to raid before we descended into the basement, the one where I had spotted the prototype ghost mare suit, or at least the parts of it. The project had clearly never been completed, and was abandoned in the middle of a complete overhaul. Now, digging back through the container, I found something that was worth taking. One MG Stealth Buck 2. With a grunt, Steelhoofs forced open the elevator doors and the three of us looked down the dark shaft. Midway down, a field of blue energy cut horizontally across the shaft, blocking our way down. I sighed, unsurprised. We tried the stairwell to the basement already, only to find a thick metal door had slid into place, cutting off access. The entire basement was locked down tight. The only way in was to be teleported there by the Ministry's security, and I had yet to find a way out. Look at the cables, Velvet whispered. They go down right through the shield. I nodded. I'd figured that the shield was just closed around them, although it was a little surprising that they hadn't been severed. What are you thinking? Bypass spell, she responded. For the cables? For the whole elevator, she suggested. I know that's a long shot, but... Steelhoofs nickered disbelievingly. You'd think they put a security barrier in the elevator shaft that the elevator could go through. I bit my lower lip in thought. Well, actually, that's not as silly as it sounds. The elevator would be programmed to move to the bottom when the basement was locked down, but they wouldn't want to trap any pony. So they set the barrier to allow the elevator through. That way the barrier can activate instantly while the elevator has time to deposit any passengers on the floors above. I was talking out my tailside, but at least it made some sense. Once the elevator reaches the bottom, power is cut to the whole system, and the elevator is locked into position. So what good does that do us? Steelhooves asked. Velvet almost purred. They weren't planning on Little Pip, were they? I knew what she was getting at. Levitate the elevator up to us, get on, and down we go. Only one problem. I need schematics of the elevator's mechanical system, I told them. Velvet looked at me oddly. Why? The locking mechanism is at the bottom where I can't see it. She continues to look at me blankly. I sighed. Look, I need to know what I'm doing before I can do it. I looked at them. Of course they didn't understand. Steelhoofs had no clue about magic at all, and Velvet Remedy's levitation magic was comparatively foolish. It's the same reason I can telekinetically fire a gun or pull the power supply from a turret even if I can't see it. But I can't use my magic to squeeze somebody's heart or build a rifle while blindfolded. If I can't see what I'm doing, I need to be able to picture it in my mind with a fair amount of accuracy or the magic just won't manifest. I explained, hoping I didn't sound patronising. At least I need a place to start if I have any chance of doing this. Like with the Starspawn. Until Pilot set a part of it on fire, I didn't have any place to begin. In this case, 
I have no idea what kind of locking mechanism I might be not seeing. I need the schematics. Velvet Remedy and Steelhooves both nodded. One schematics for the elevator coming right up. End of part one. This is a long one. I've just got to take a little break. Enjoy some music while I catch my breath. I'll be back with part two soon. Here's Skybolt with 99 problems. Enjoy, people. I've got 99 problems that are going on. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. <laughs> 